What up, Dell One Pride? This is the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, the podcast where one pride goes worldwide. My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick. I'm joined this evening by Ryan McCluskey, Ashley Soden, and we will be joined by Tom Wilkinson shortly, but he is going to make a grandiose entrance at the last moment, hopefully very shortly. So you're going to have four of us. And yeah, welcome to the Roar of the Lions UK podcast. We are here to discuss cornerback prospects in the 2023 NFL Draft. This is the second week of our positional preview series. We've got four weeks of these all told. Um, we did defensive tackles last week and we are doing um, cornerbacks this week. But first up, just reminds me to um, introduce the panel. So Ryan Ash, free agency frenzy began today. Maybe not a complete frenzy, but plenty of big deals been done. The Lions have been involved. We'll talk about it in a minute. But how are you both doing today on Free Agency Frenzy Monday? I'm fine. We don't really have much money to spend. I think we've spent our money. I expect now it's going to be pretty quiet and just watch everyone else over pay for players that are ready to cash in on people like the Chicago Bears. Yep. So, yeah, the same. But just like as the Lions have made two signings today, so have I. I have two Lions of my own today. I've just uh, come from work and I needed something to eat. So I thought it would be good for a joke. But, yeah, I completely agree with Ryan. This was Sutton, who we'll talk about later, is our big splurge now. Now it's going to be, like last year, we're going to let Kaminsky and Anzalone and that test the market, and then hopefully they'll come back to roost. But if not, then we can move on and find someone else. Yeah, the question was always going to be, were the Lions going to dip their toe? Were they going to go safe with just re-signings, bringing their own guys back? But no, they they have made a plunge and it's one that has made Lions fans quite happy. I think it's fair to say, and Steelers fans very unhappy. So it's always a testament to know how the other side feels because in a lot of cases... They will just make stuff up and say, oh, yeah, we, we don't really care about him. He's bum. But in this case, when they like the player and they realise what they're going to miss with him, then it's like a good indicator of what has gone right. But we've got to talk about that very momentarily. Just need to do all the housekeeping because I didn't do it on the show earlier. And to everyone who joined earlier, thank you so much for joining our free agency frenzy stream, which was myself chatting for three hours. It was it was good fun. We did all the deals as they went down. We'll carry on doing that this evening. If any big deals happen, we'll keep updating you on what's going on. We now have our resident internet wizard ash here to do all that stuff for us and to keep me updated so i don't have to do that so that is all going to be good but i'll go through the housekeeping so i've not done so already so um roar of the lines uk our discord if you want in on that just let us know we will send you a link as you can imagine it is a hive of activity at this moment in time that free agency has opened so yeah we'll send you the link if you want in 
College football podcast with myself and Ryan. Uh, it'll all be the same as usual this week. Our episode last week, um, we devoted to the Combine, talking about the Combine and the Pro Day circuit. So it'll be carrying on in that similar vein again. We're in Pro Day season now. Last workouts for players before the draft we'll be updating you on all that so yeah come check us out later in the week with that one um don't forget to like and subscribe to everything on youtube on twitter when i started the free agency stream earlier we were at 889 subs we're aiming for 900 for the first of our giveaways which we'll tell you about when we get there i've not checked in the meanwhile if anyone did but if we could do that this evening get to 900 that would be amazeball so if you know any lions fans who are not subbed to us yet then please um Please get them on board and they may win a prize for being like numbers 890 to 900. Who knows? Um, and then don't forget Lions Nation Unite, Herman Moore's pet project, um, app developed by Detroit Lions fans, content creators for Detroit Lions fans. You'll find all the best and the brightest over there and us as well. But, you know, they, they take pity on some on some pods. So there we go. Um, and here he is, the fourth member of our panel this evening. He loves... To make a grandiose entrance, he likes to be seen. He is the man, the myth, the Tom Wilkinson. How are you doing, Tom? Good, thanks. Just here to make it all about me as usual, you know. Well, and we love you for that, you know. We, uh, <laughs> you make the show a better place when you're around. So it's it's good to have you all on, and I'm sure the listeners are absolutely delighted to have other people on than me just chattering away for three hours on my own. Um, Right, so that is pretty much it for the housekeeping. Um, Lions news. Uh, we'll go. We'll go through this briefly. We'll discuss it more at the end of the show because um, we have cornerback prospects to get through this evening. But like I say, it is the start of free agency today. The eternal question of whether the Lions were finally going to loosen the purse strings up, bring in a big name player, maybe not just go for the regular re-signings. And to everyone's maybe surprise, they did. So the Lions have a new cornerback one, and that is one Cameron Sutton from the Pittsburgh Steelers. He has been given a three-year deal worth $33 million, $22.5 million of that has been guaranteed. So a good payday for him, as we've been seeing all throughout where, you know, Pittsburgh, he, he's been kind of a hybrid guy there. He's been playing at safety, he's been playing in the slot, he's been playing on the, the outside, and by all accounts, he's been playing through injury this year as well, and he's had his best season as a player in the NFL, so kind of fits the grit, as um, Dan Campbell would say there, that type of player. But he is in with us. Like I say, he's just had his best season um only a couple of quarterback pressures not really a blitzing cornerback but tackle wise 37 solo six assisted missed sevens 14 percent but meh you can take it or leave it it's not that bad 15 run stuffs in the coverage game 71 targets 36 receptions so just a 50 percent completion rating against him for 411 yards and four touchdowns but he's got three interceptions and eight pass break ups they are all significant improvements on what he did last season guys we have a new cornerback one it was uh, an issue for the lions we are doing a show about draft cornerbacks tonight because we need cornerbacks in the draft but the lions have gone out and got their guy in free agency, what are your immediate thoughts on uh, Brad Holmes's latest bit of business? I'll go first. Uh, first point is I don't think it changes the draft. 
I still think we go in the first three picks a cornerback, but I think number six now you've got a l you've got a few more options if there's anyone out there that does like a running back or a quarterback. That's kind of more in play now now we've got out there. The uh, Steelers fans and their uh, beat writers seem really sad to lose him, which is always a good sign because how many times the Lions signed a player and all their fans have just said, he's shit, you can have him, good luck. And I'm so sick of that. It's a 22 mil, half mil guaranteed. I'm all right with that. It's a good chunk of change, but the production so far has lived up to that. He's had like 15 pass breakups, like five interceptions the last two years. Completion about 50, 55%. That's good. He's coming in as number one. He's coming into a locker room and a defensive back room that is subpar. It's the worst probably position on the team. It's still in strength for him. So he instantly makes us better. And they did it quickly. Within, what, 45, 20 minutes for an hour, tampering, got the deal done. They clearly focused or saw that he was testing the market and they went and got him. That's fine. If he's the only free agent player sign, which he probably will be, I'm fine with it. Like I say, now it'll just be tying up loose ends, keeping guys, a few one-year flyers out there. But yeah, saw the guy, went and got the guy, and now we can just sit back and watch how the chips fall. And if anyone does want to come here on a one-year flyer, we can rework some deals. Jared, uh, Vitae and that, they've got a little bit of money that can be released, and we can get them if we want. But yeah, it's a good start. So I'm reacting to this a little on the fly, to be honest. I was caught up with something before, hence I was a couple of minutes late. Um, immediate reactions, I love it. Uh, Sutton was a guy I actually really wanted two years ago, um, but in a slightly different role. And I think that's where some of his versatility is probably really interesting to the Lions and completely agree with you, Ryan. I don't think it changes anything from a, a cornerback priority standpoint in the draft. It just removes some of the immediate need. And the, the reason being yes he can play outside but also like i said two years ago i was thinking of him more in what we would now call the will harris role that hybrid role um and so i'm sure they have a plan for how they ideally want to use him but let's just say that um someone like a brown branch falls then actually sutton can play outside if you really love gonzalez or witherspoon or one of those guys or porter or banks any of these guys then actually you can play him inside um so I didn't necessarily think he was going to get 11 million a year, not knowing the cornerback kind of contracts off the top of my head. I can't imagine that's in the top 10, right? That's probably somewhere in the 10 to 20, 15-ish kind of range. He's a free agent corner. Like You're going to overpay to some degree to get someone like that. So on the surface of it, I like it. Well, I really like it. I love the versatility, really like the player. So yeah, a lot to be positive about. Yeah, so, Sorry, so I love the I love the move. It's to explain like what it's going to be like. It's going to be like a Mike Hughes kind of signing in terms of role, but with a lot more upside. Like Michael Hughes is, was very similar. Started off in a slot, moved outside with the Kansas City Chiefs the season before last, and excelled. That's what Cam Sutton's done. But Sutton is younger and has more ball production, and perhaps is a tiny bit more athletic. Off the top of my head, so this will be a it's. And he was like the 26th highest graded cornerback by PFF last year, which doesn't sound that good. But considering our, net, our, our highest one was Will Harris in the 60s, this is a guy who was last year's cornerback one. He's going to come in and be our cornerback one this year. And then, yeah, if we draft uh, Witherspoon, a Gonzalez, a Porter, 
maybe some of the guys later on that we're going to discuss, he could move down to like a cornerback two, three role in the slot. But he's given us sort of baseline of talents now where we can go into the season with potentially him, Akuda and Jerry as our like top three outside corners. And it's not as bad as it would have been this time yesterday when it was Jeff, Jerry and then Javid Williams maybe as our third outside corner. So it's definitely an upgrade in terms of like roster talent. Yeah, and sort of the big overwhelming thing about him as well is people have been so quick to mention his IQ. They said he's the smartest player on that Pittsburgh defense, and you know it's not even close really. So you think we've had a lot of athletically gifted corners and safeties in recent years? I mean, we mentioned Will Harris, but they've never really sort of had the smarts to go with it as well to make themselves the best player that they can be so the fact that you know you're getting a guy in there he's high IQ he can play multiple positions so it's scheme versatile as you say we've got a few of those guys the draft is full of talents like Tom says if we get a cornerback slot hybrid type you can put him more on the out if we get an outside corner you can move him in so it gives draft ho- draft I should call him draft homes Brad Holmes a great deal of flexibility when it comes to what he wants to do so yeah, as I say, at the minute, it seems a really good deal. So, well done, Detroit, and we'll see what happens. But certainly gives us flexibility in the draft. So, our new cornerback one, Cameron Sutton from Pittsburgh. I will just list down the other moves we've done. Like I said, we'll talk more about it towards the end of the show because we'll get into the cornerback prospects right away, get that done and dusted. But the other business the Lions have done today, so Big Bad Bugs Bunny is back. Back for the next two years, Isaiah Bugs landed himself a two-year, six million dollar contract. It's four and a half million into base and guaranteed, and there's one and a half extra in incentives. So, the man's got himself paid, and I think we're all really glad to have him back. Um, Craig Reynolds, running back, is back with us for another year. That maybe was the most surprising move they've made so far because for me that casts doubt on whether Jamal comes back or not. You've got Swift, you've got Reynolds, you bring Jamal back. I want to hit on this running back class going forward, but they're really high on him. The character, the passion, it shows. So maybe it's not a surprise that Craig Reynolds is back for another year. And then we had five exclusive rights free agents signed up as well. So Matthew Turner's favorite player in the world, Scott Daly, is back for another year. Long snapping. Then we have Benito Jones, defensive lineman, is back. A tight end room, Shane Zilstra and Brock, not Brock Wright. Yes, Brock Wright. No, Brock Wright. Oh god, who's the third one? The two tight ends are back off the Saint Zilstra. Zilstra, yeah, there we go. And then Anthony Pittman is back, linebacker as well, special teams aficionado, as we know. So five guys on the ERFA's redone, and then tenders were not given to two players: Tommy Kramer, the right guard, and to Bobby Price, the cornerback. But as it's been mentioned since, both have been injured or are slash hurt and are getting evaluated further by the Lions in the future. So don't be surprised if they do come back at a later date. I think they are just taking their time because Kramer, back injury. We've seen what it's done to Levi. Trench guys, back injuries, not really good. Bobby Price has been badly injured too with his knee. So you've got to see what is going on with them. But So maybe not the end, but they've not been tendered. So that's everything in terms of the Lions business so far. Obviously, if everything, anything else happens during the show, we will let you know about it as we go along. But we'll chat about it in more detail at the end. Because as I say, we are here to discuss corner prospects in the draft this upcoming season so we are going to dive straight down into that first just want to say hi to everyone who's in with us on youtube austin damon 
back with me again. Thank you very much. Dead Fan Man is in there. Teardrop Floyd is in. He says, um, it's a great sign in the Steelers culture mirrors the Lions. That is also true. Another another reason for getting Sutton here. Kool-Aid Kid is in the building. SW Lion is in the building. Um, he says, looks like a solid sign. And do you think they overspent for him? No, the consensus is we haven't. You have to pay a little bit more in free agency, but we've certainly certainly not been rinsed by anyone there so anyhow thank you for everyone joining us and let us dive in we have an eclectic mix as always i believe we've got 11 this evening i think me ash and tom have three guys ryan has two and as i have been busy chatting on the other stream all day i'm going to pass it on to these guys first i just want to make a quick mental note before we do start this devon witherspoon is not involved in tonight's proceedings but that is because one our own Tom Wilkinson has done a fantastic video for him on YouTube, which you can go and check out at any time, detailing his strengths, his weaknesses, all those things in there. So please do go and check that out. And plus, me and Ryan have been talking about him since the start of the season on the College Football Podcast, so we have mentioned him enough. Everybody knows about him. So we're going to shine the light on a few others as well. So I'm just going to sort of go round in a circle this evening and do it. I've not done it in Matt's way how there's like a line that we're going to go in. So um, Tom, we'll come down to you first. Any of your three guys this evening. So just, just to make you aware of who we do actually have before we go down into this. So Tom is looking at Christian Gonzalez, Brian Branch, and Deontay Banks. Ash will be looking at Tyreek Stevenson, Jacorian Bennett, and Garrett Williams. Ryan has been taking a look at Julius Brents and Joey Porter Jr. And I have been taking a look at Caillou Blue Kelly, Lance Boykin, and Corey Trice Jr. But eh, I'll pass that over to you. Tom, who do you want to start with to get us going this evening? Right, so let's start with probably the most frequent Detroit Lions mock draft pick in Christian Gonzalez. I'd say that's a, a good place to, to set the market, I guess, in terms of corner prospects for this year, with a spoon aside. So um, to kick off, Gonzalez transferred from Colorado to Oregon ahead of last season. Um, he's six foot one and a half, 197 pounds. He completely blew up the combine. Um, so a lot of you will have known him beforehand, but everyone knew him afterwards. So ran a 4.3840, but jumped out of the gym, 41 and a half inch vert, uh, over 11 foot broad. So 99th and 98th percentile there. Relative athletic score of 9.96. Um, so a pretty darn good athlete. Uh, and a PFF grade of 81.2 and I guess as we get into some of his strengths it all really starts with his athletic gifts um, whilst it was a really really impressive combine performance it wasn't a surprise to be honest um, we knew he was going to be fast we knew he was going to be an elite athlete and when we uh, when we do the first look videos uh, I use the phrase that he looks like he was created in Madden because if you wanted to build a corner for today's NFL with those athletic tools, but also with that size and length is exactly what you would build. So long arms to disrupt receivers at the line of scrimmage, to play the ball at the catch point, but then also that deep speed to turn and run with anyone down the field as well. So uh, he's not just a workout warrior. We see plenty of those each year. Um, the one thing that really comes across in terms of that toolkit he has is his fluidity. It, it's it's so rare. Um, there's lots of guys who can move well, and we're going to come to other elite athletes just in this breakdown today. But 
his fluidity in terms of his movement skills, given his body type, is super, super rare. So athletic tools, A+. plus. Um, one of the question marks entering this season were his ball skills, uh, but he took noticeable strides this year. So he picked off four passes, forced nine incompletions, using those arms and athleticism. And whilst there are times, so unlike someone like Witherspoon, who plays the catch point really aggressively, despite being undersized, there are times Gonzalez doesn't necessarily, but you do get those flashes of, of elite playmaking. So against Colorado, he had two picks against his old team. Uh, and it was the second one especially tantalizing. So the first one, he's running hip to hip down the field and makes the play on, on an underthrown ball, returns it for a touchdown. Um, the second one, he's in off coverage. He drops to depth and then just makes a break in the ball out of zone, uh, immediately goes and takes that ball 50 yards the other way. So super, super impressive. And then finally tackling. So he is not physically imposing in terms of how he plays the game, but he's a really sound tackler, which obviously, as we know, is so important to the Lions. So you won't necessarily find those booming hits, but he does have fewer missed tackles than guys like Witherspoon, like Porter, the guys who you might think of as the more physical players. So uh, from an efficiency standpoint, he's, he's really effective. So. That being said, if we talk weaknesses, physicality for, for is one. Um, he is on the leaner side. I don't think he plays up to, to his weight and size. There are multiple instances of him being bullied, uh, either during a route or potentially in the run game. Um, and there are just, there are enough occasions where it questions, does he really have that kind of dog in him to be a corner? Uh, Michael Wilson, uh, I think I'm right saying Michael Wilson, the Stanford receiver, is that right? Uh, completely tore him apart, to be perfectly honest. Now, the stats won't back that up. The box score, I don't know if actually Wilson had a huge game or not, but he was beating Gonzalez again and again. Gonzalez was lunging, lunging at him in press and really just getting swiped out the way. So I would like to see him play more physical. Now, ironically, that's actually where he's almost at his best in college because he can get he can lunge completely miss a guy with his hands and somehow flip his hips and be right in his pocket immediately afterwards um which just shows that fluidity shows that athleticism but we need to tidy that up at the nfl level or he's going to be a liability my biggest question with gonzalez is eye discipline and processing all of that comes down to one word which for me is urgency now he's incredibly patient but there are a number of occasions where you don't see the urgency that I would want to see in a corner. Yes, you get some highlight reel plays. Yes, you get some of these kind of ball hawking traits and things that you like to see, but there are wasted steps. There are misreads. And at times for me, it feels like there is no connection between what his eyes are seeing and what his legs are doing. And that to me is a real flag. Now, we won't be able to solve that through film, sadly. And so for me, the biggest part will be um, interviews. How does he talk about the game? I thought he came across really well and what limited kind of combine interviews and things I, I saw. But it's what happens in that 20 minutes he had with the Lions. What is he actually talking about when they show film um, film up there? So uh, player comparison, you're here, Darius Slay, you're here, Gonzalez. I like AJ Terrell personally. Uh, similar kind of size, um, similar kind of athleticism. Terrell, not as good an athlete, but definitely has some of those traits. Um, but both versatile players display a lot of patience. Um, Terrell has a really impressive knack for staying in phase, regardless of the route. 
but also very inconsistent. Very maybe unfair, but Terrell had a year, I believe, was he all-pro? He was definitely a pro bowler, but last year he, he was fantastic. This year he was fine, and as a rookie he was up and down as well, so that consistency wasn't quite there, and that's similar things I could see with Gonzalez. Um, in summary, highest upside to me of any corner in the draft. I do think there's a number of questions in his tape, more so than someone like a Witherspoon, um, but there are answers which I think you might only get in the interview stage, which obviously we don't have access to. So for the Lions specifically, he can play a man. He is good against the run, if he, even if he's not as physically imposing. Uh, so yeah, for me, he'd absolutely be in, in play at six. Um, I'm really torn between him and Witherspoon. Uh, a lot of the upside of Gonzalez is enticing. I would probably still lean Witherspoon just now based on what I've seen, but either of them I think would be great fits with the Lions. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more with, with most of that there, Tom. Christian Gonzalez, anyone any other notes they want to add, comments to make? Um, I completely agree as well from what I've seen of him. He's definitely got the, the sort of athleticism, but yeah, it's about the attitude, whether he like loves football as much as he sounds. But at the same time, it sounds very similar to the concerns that were uh, with Thibodeau last year. Where it's kind of similar, athletic, definitely got the body for it, but does he have the mind and still got some questions about the Thibodeau? So maybe it's the same with Gonzalez. Yeah, true. And again, if you want to see a bit more, Tom has also done a video on Christian Gonzalez for the channel as well. So please go and check that out as well. Done a really good job on there. So we know it's, it's very difficult as to who the top guy in the draft is going to be. And it's going to be debated all the way up until first round nine. So, right, let's move it on. Ash, we'll move over to you now. Um, who have you got up first on your slate? Um, I'll go for Jacorian Bennett, the the lesser known Maryland cornerback, because obviously everyone knows about uh, Banks, the guy who absolutely blew up the combine and will be discussed later. But Bennett is just as good in some ways. So he's not as good athletically. He only scored a 9.59 at um, the com- uh, rise at the combine, mostly because he's smaller. So he's 5'11", 188 pounds. So not as big as Banks is, but still uh, passable as an outside corner because he's about the same size as Jerry. Uh, he's got 31-inch arms, and he did 13 reps at the uh, at the bench as well at the combine. But what he does, uh, what he lacked in terms of size, he certainly made up for with his speed and ex- uh, explosion. So he ran a 4.30-40-yard uh, dash with a 2.54-20 uh, um, split and a 1.48 split as well. So those are all elite and all rank above nine on the RAS. And then his explosion is elite as well with a 40.5 vert and a 10-foot, 11-foot uh, one broad jump. So, uh, but he didn't do agility, probably, but that's a growing trend as we'll probably see where he'll do it at the pro day because obviously doing a lot of drills in one day is tiring. So, um, in this past season, he scored uh, 71.8 PFF grade with a 73.1 run grade, 61.6 tackle, 70.3 coverage, and then 65.5 pass rush because he blitzed a few times. So, um, I watched him against Michigan because obviously. That's the hometown team. We have to see who he does against people we know. So he was really good in man coverage. So specifically in man coverage, he scored exactly 71.8 in his coverage. And when he's 
in man, he's able to match phase with the receivers, either, both in press and when he's playing off the line of scrimmage. And when he has to hand off receivers, for example, there was a play against Michigan where he was lined up, him and two corners were lined up against a trio bunch. He was able to sort of communicate with his teammates and hand off who was taking who. So, um, and then despite his size, he's really able to use his arms to sort of slow the release of the receiver, uh, despite his uh, smaller size. And when there's scramble drills, there was one where I think it was JJ McCarthy had to sort of scramble out the pocket. He was able to stick to his man easily on a sort of drag along the goal line. So when he plays a man, he's really good. And then when he's against uh, uh, the run as well, he consistently holds the edge well despite his size. And there was one particular play where he's lined up in the slot where he reads that it's going to be a run with Corum, sort of tilts his body to sort of block off the slot receiver and then just tears down the C-gap and is the first one to get Corum down. So he's definitely got some strengths for what we want in the um, in the uh, our scheme. His weaknesses, though, are he goes for the uh, the legs a lot when he's tackling, which probably contributes to his quite high uh, career missed tackle percentage. He's missed 14% this season, but over around 17 in his career. Though this has been improving year on year, so it's probably just a uh, problem of technique and such. And then because of his size, sometimes he can be bullied by tight ends, uh, bigger, oh God, uh, bigger receivers as well. But for me... And I'm not trying to be hyperbolic with this comparison. He's very much like Jerry Jacobs for me in the way he plays. Though he's slightly tall and thinner, he's quick and explosive. But just the way that they play the run, how they play against their receivers, it was just reminiscent of Jerry. So for me, if he's there, uh, if he's currently caught, uh, corner 20 on the consensus board and he's around the fourth, fifth round, though he's probably going to rise. If he's there at 82, given we've just signed Sutton, I'd run the card in and then you've got a potential cornerback two of the future in him, in my opinion. He's very, uh, because he's like Jerry, but with a slightly better athletic upside. So that is on the second Maryland cornerback. Anyone got anything there to add? I didn't actually know too much about him until I saw him at the combine. Like you say, he, he, he lit up, he really put the world on notice there. The Terps have been a really underrated team in the nation for the last few years on both sides of the ball. So, I feel like this, he's benefiting from being such a deep corner class, both the, uh, both the Maryland guys, that these two could, like say, be strong second, third-round candidates. So I feel like if the Lions don't go in the first round and they do hold off, these two definitely come into play. They show, like say, that short-range burst athleticism and uh, that willingness to get stuck in as well. I don't mind missed tackles. It is something that you can work on, usually more than often than not. It is pure, just bad technique. So I'll be honest, I know very little about him, but Ash, would you say, if you're seeing a bit of Jerry in him, is he a guy who can potentially play in the slot, play the nickel as well? Yeah, so against Michigan, he split pretty much 50-50 in the slot and outside. So you just, well, I'm going to say pretty much all my guys uh, seemingly have that ability. But yeah, he because of his size, he's good in the slot, but he's also, he can match up outside as well. He probably... On other teams, he might get stuck in a slot, but I think with how our scheme is and how our coaches are, they'll give him the chance to fight it out at the outside before they move him inside, kind of like how we did with Jerry the past couple of years. Yeah, because if you've got a versatile DB who's running a 4-3 a flat, um, yeah. then that's, a, that's not a bad place to be. So, 
expect yeah. to potentially see him rise, but you get that kind of guy in the third round, I think you're pretty happy. Yeah. I'm going to be honest, you know, when when I started doing the draft stuff, I didn't realise there would be two corners coming out of Maryland this year, given how porous their defence has been. And you'll have been watching them as well, Tom, because you've got the other guy, but... They, they've kept some gems quiet in that secondary. So, and Deontay Banks especially, his rise has been meteoric. If you're wondering why I had an open mouth and was aghast a minute ago, yes, the Chicago Bears have signed Tremaine Edmonds. Four years, $72 million deal with $50 million guaranteed. The largest four-year contract ever given to an inside linebacker in the NFL, which given how... Hypocritical is that given they let Roquan Smith walk like last season because they didn't want to pay him and now they've just gone and dished out the biggest four-year contract in history to an inside linebacker. So the Bears have signed Tremaine Edmonds for their sins. So hey-ho. And other, and earlier they also got Nate Davis for three years, 30 million from the Titans. So there's at least one offensive line addition after they uh, swung a miss with McClinchy. Oh well, the Titans' O line sucks in general, so maybe he's bad. I don't know. You know, just 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 gonna hope. Hope the Bears are not right. doing it right there. So you know, Henry doesn't need an offensive line to run through. Right. We'll move it on to me now because I'm that's one of the guys who's got three. So my first guy I've got this evening. He is one of my favorite draft prospects in terms of developmental quarterbacks. I'm talking about Q Blue Kelly. He is the cornerback from the Stanford. Cardinals, six foot one, one hundred and eighty-eight pounds. Rast, I think about eight point eight at the recent combine. So the athleticism is there, the size is there with him. He's vastly experienced cornerback at college level. He's played in thirty-seven games, over two thousand three hundred snaps in college. For me, this is the guy who you're picking day two slash three who has cornerback one upside, if you're willing to be patient with him. Um, so in looking through tape this year, he's act, Stanford have had a very brutal schedule this year. So the cornerbacks he's gone up against this season, he's faced Caleb Williams, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr., Dorian, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, Cameron Ward, and Cameron Rising. Cameron Ward's one of my favourite quarterbacks for the draft next year. But a lot of those guys, one's going to be a future overall number one pick, and a lot of the others are going to end up drafted. It has been a tough season for him but he ended the season and they played Notre Dame as well so I'm just putting it out there 42 targets on the season only gave up 22 receptions this guy is as good as it gets when it comes to a press man corner in this draft so I say it's where Kelly excels he's physical he is aggressive on the line of scrimmage he's got great technique not just with his hands when he's dueling on the line of scrimmage but in terms of his leverage he what he likes to do he likes to show receivers the inside because that's where he gets strong he sort of cuts off the outside routes for them gets them going inside on the verts he is a you know a former track sprinter he has the long speed he needs he gets these guys in his wheelhouse and then makes plays on the ball and he's really damn good at it um so like i say yeah when it comes to the vertical routes when it comes to anything cross field as soon as he gets them inside the play is legitimately over this is how good he can be with it um so when it comes to problems though like saying he's a 
damn good at the line of scrimmage. He's a damn good press man corner. So when it comes to his off coverage, and this is why he's going to be a day two pick, because you know you kind of have this this confidence, this superior technique he has when he's getting really handsy, really physical with these receivers. And the Pac-12 guys, they love to fight back. Amon Ra comes from there. You know they're aggressive, and that's the style a lot of them play. But when it comes to the ball being in front of him, when the ball's behind his back, he's a great player. When the ball's in front of him, the confidence goes, the inability to make decisions, the you know his foot movement, the positions he's putting himself in, it needs a lot of work doing to him, which is why he's going to be, as I say, a day three pick. So you've got a guy who's great at the line of scrimmage, who's great in press man, who is a, he struggles in off, but he's got the physical profile you need. He's lanky, he's rangy, he's got the speed. He's just You've got technicality issues you've got to work out there. But this Stanford team has been really bad these last few years and he has still managed to stand out as a prospect on that defense when it's been getting rinsed. If you go back and watch the USC game last year, Drake London was obviously the, the big standout receiver of them. He had him on lockdown for the entire game. And Drake London, you know him, he is big, he is physical, he bodies you. Q had a field day against him there. Now, he struggled more this year. If you're going to want to see the problems he has, Jordan Addison had him on toast, but that's because USC was scheming him up so that he was playing in off coverage. And Jordan Addison is one of the best receivers in this year's draft. But outside of that, I think for a development guy, how good he is with the ball at his back, how good he is, how handsy he is, how physical he is with receivers, this is the day two, day three guy you want to go after for me. So... I've always said from the beginning, if we take a corner at the top of the draft, if we take Devon, we take Q, Devon goes straight in instantly, Kiyu develops, he gets a little bit more confidence with his technique when he's playing off, but we don't do that a lot, so he could even step in straight away and be a contributor to this team. He's the guy for me there, so that's Q, Blue Kelly, Stanford there. Anyone else, anything to add? Really agree, that's why I, was a, uh, I remember when we were discussing who we were going to take it out. I was hoping to take him, but obviously you called uh, rank, which is completely fine. I completely agree. Like, I've, um, yeah, if he's there, uh, if he's there at 82, and we have to take a corner, and he's just sitting there staring us in the eye, I'd be tempted. If you manage to trade back and get a fourth round pick, and he's there, then you run the card and you get him because, as you say, he has he has the upside to be a future starter for us potentially in our scheme, and then. Yeah, you can build his confidence up a bit, and if he's still good in off man, then if uh, Aaron Glenn Glenn goes and we have to change slightly, we go to more off man, he'd be still just as good in that as he is in press. Uh, yeah, nothing much to add other than in general, I like to bet on guys who have uh, NFL bloodlines. I think there's a pretty clear trend in terms of how guys translate. Not to say he's going to turn into a, a star, but obviously it helps when your dad's played in the NFL for ten plus years. So. Uh, yeah, potentially a bit more, I think might be targeted by more zone heavy teams than a team like the Lions, but he's a, he's an easy player to root for. Okay, right, let's move it on. Um, we've had three so far, so Ryan, I'll move it on to you now. Who are you going first with this evening? Uh, first, I'm going with the best corner in the draft, and I think um, a natural born Lion. I'm going with uh, Joey Park Jr., He's got the size of Gonzalez, but he's way tougher. He's got the short range closing speed of uh, one of the Maryland corners. So he's six foot two and a half, 195 pounds, 34 inch arms, 
ran a very good 446 40 10 feet 9 broad vertical 35 inches not too bad but it's not the most athletic but four years penn state 115 tackles seven passes defended a sack force fumble interception he prides himself on not being targeted because people don't like throwing his way he is a shutdown corner he's old school as well he plays with hands up at line of scrimmage elbows locked in tight ready to engage the wide receiver first or bat off hands none of this just hands down by the side not ready to go he's already at like I say driving he's already at 10 to 2 like he's holding his steering wheel he's perfect he's got that he's got that grit about him uh, I watch games and footage against Purdue and Ohio State and I've I've fallen in love with him like I say he's a he's, he's got a, a famous father played a linebacker I believe the Steelers for quite a few years so he does have connections there he's got for what I think is the best corner in the draft between zero and five yards. He jams at the line so hard. A pure press man corner. He's physical. He's annoying. He likes to get in your face. He just is a wide receiver's worst nightmare. Gives up the inside, like I say. He is also a bit like those guys that will happily give a guy up on the slant or the post. He will take inside shade because he trusts his ability to win either around the back or come through you. If you do catch the ball in a stride, or he beats you on that first step, he can make the tackle, or he can force the incompletion. He's a strong tackler in open space if he keeps his head up. We'll come to the issue where sometimes he drops his chin or he's looking below the knees where he thinks he's going to tackle a guy and he does get himself in a world of trouble. So, play press man, but he will give coverage as well. I say he'll give cushions. That closing speed allows him to give five, six yards if he thinks he gives it because he can cover a lot of ground very quickly. Against Ohio State, he showed me that he understands zone. So at the start of the game, he drops back in cover two to where the safety is. The safety comes up to linebacker and the linebacker drops out to take the flat. I believe that was against Marvin Harrison Jr. He understands how to rotate the signals. He's a good communicator. There are some things he needs to work on. He's very huggy. He's not handsy, he does like to have a hand around the waist or a little like a hand around the shoulder. Like if you had cargo shorts on, he'd have a hand in your back pocket and he'd also be trying to steal your phone at the same time. He gets away with that in college a lot, but in the pros he won't do. I say everything is like below the waist. He's true he's sticky. He's a true man corner, he'll be put on an island. He will follow you even if he knows the ball is not coming your way. He will just follow you across the field and he'll try to live rent free in your head. I think he's he's aggressive. He likes to yeah. play mind games. He's strong, and I, I really do love him. I think in at eighteen, if he does pass the Steelers at seventeen, which is a big if, I really would like him. So notable players from the two games. I've got the bad, the good, and the great. Bad late in the Ohio State game, about eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, two points down in the red zone. There's a, like an out or a quick pass to the running back. The linebacker misses a tackle. He goes to size him up to make a tackle about the five-yard line, and he does not lift his head up. He dives at the guy's knees. He tries to wrap up, totally whiffs, and he scores. The running back then trundles in, game basically over. He sized him up in the open field, but he did not keep his head up. And I hope tackling won't be an issue at the next level. That uh, inconsistency there, good. Against Penn State, he's uh, up against Charlie Jones, a great receiver on the outside who wants to drag in deep, 
After five, six yards, he bails because TJ Sheffield, the receiver in the slot, is running a hitch. He bails, he turns and shows that 4-4 speed, crashes down hard, undercuts the route, gets two hands on the ball, should have picked it. He tips it in the end, and the receiver behind him actually makes a great catch. But he understands that he has to get off, and he gets there as fast as lightning. And he, he, he bails on the route and understands. And then great. Ohio State, there is a, a screen to the running back outside. He's giving three, four yards worth of cushion. He blitzes. So he goes straight between both blockers. He sizes up the running back. He wraps him up, and he takes him down for a huge tackle for loss. The guys outside didn't even get a finger on him. He just split them like they were a veranda door in the garden. And he's just in the last sausage roll on the buffet. And he got a knife through, and it was lovely. And that shows, like, across, like, seven yards, he might be the fastest in short yardage. And he's a physical tackler as well. So, very impressed him. In conclusion, I think this guy, like I say, he... He likes guys not targeting. He likes that fear factor, a bit like Sauce did. Not going to get many interceptions, but he will get passes defended. He will stick to receivers like glue. He'll make QBs think about throwing his way, but if he does, he's got the ability to pass defended and get the hand in. I just want him to see him be less handsy at the next level. Just maybe not so much holding, less hands on hips, because he will get called for that. He won't get away with that in the NFL like he has to the pros. But at 18, I feel like you kind of have to run to the podium and get him. Yeah, it's it, it's very hard to dislike a guy who comes out the Penn State system because you just know the coaching is there that creates talent that translates to the next level. And you say there's this NFL pedigree there. There's you know from his family. There's college pedigree there from a system that works. It just so happens that we have the D-line coach from there on our staff now, so they're going to know all about him, how he acts on the field, how he watches film. They're going to get as deep an insight into a prospect as they will probably get from anybody there. It's it, it's such tantalising top of the cornerback class. Tom, Ash, I mean, what are your thoughts on Joey? So uh, you mentioned Penn State. He's actually NFL.com comped him to another ex-Penn State corner. Amani Oruwarie. Oh. So all the wonderful things Ryan just said, now everyone has just switched us off immediately. No. Um, so I'll be honest. So the combine, we talked about this previously. The combine is not so you can get super excited by people who run fast and completely overweight the tape. What it does do is highlight players who maybe you need to go back and watch the tape again. Pre-combine, I was like, if this guy's name was Joey Lauter and he had no NFL bloodlines, I, I just, I'm not there with him, to be honest. I, I didn't see him as a first rounder. And the reason being, I just didn't like how he moved. Um, so he's so impactful with his hands, for better and for worse, as you mentioned. He's a bit grabby at times, but you can't get around him. He's so physical, long, etc. But I really didn't like how he moved. And I thought he might test horribly at the combine. Not horribly, but as in... It give you enough flags to be like, this is quite a one-dimensional player like Oruwarie. And then he was fantastic, to be perfectly honest, at the Combine. So I need to go back and watch him again um, to see if I've missed something because I'm not expecting him. And it's hard when you're in the same kind of ballpark as a Gonzalez or a Banks, who are these super athletic, fluid guys. And that's just not Porter's game. And it probably makes him look worse for it. But I need to go back and watch him again because 
he tested much better than I thought. He's clearly got some of those traits you need. And I mean, even the the wingspan, which you saw on tape and was so impactful, 34 inch arms for a corner is bonkers. So yeah, I need to go back and watch him again. It's interesting you said you don't like how he moved though, because he didn't do the agility drills, which were probably the drills that would have shown that up. So there's a guy that I've got a bit in a bit who I think is very similar from what I've seen of him tape watching him where He's got the long speed and that, but when it comes to the sort of side-to-side stuff, it's not as good. And then he did the agility testing and it really dragged down his like athletic score. So perhaps it'd be similar with Porter where he'll do it at the Penn State Pro Day and that uh, 9.63 might go down a bit to like 9, 9 uh, 8.9 maybe because the agility score will drag it down if it's on the tape. Yeah, it's, it's very conflicting, let's just say, isn't it, with this cornerback class. Everyone has the strength and everyone has that little thing that you're just like, does that does that make them above the next guy? Does it put them below someone else? It's it's very difficult. I, do, I, I dread to think what Brad Holmes is going to be doing going through all these on his board, but hey-ho. So that's the first round we have had there already, so we will throw it on back over to Tom. Tom, who is the second prospect you're going to enlighten us about this evening? All right, well, well, let's stay then around a similar part, point of the draft and a, a similar guy in terms of mocks, which is Deontay Banks. So um, Banks, out of Maryland, as you mentioned, played four years, missed most of 2021 with a sh- shoulder injury, um, but six foot, 197 pounds. Uh, you thought Gonzalez would have got, would have, was a good athlete, but uh, Banks might be even better. Um, so he doesn't have the same length, but... He ran faster than Gonzalez, he jumped higher than Gonzalez, and his relative athletic score was 9.99, which is uh, pretty darn good again. So uh, another another top athlete. Um, in terms of strengths, athleticism, again, is really what, what shines through. So he does have that size and length, maybe not quite Gonzalez, but more more than enough to be prototypical at that position. Um, he, can cur- he can turn on that physicality and press when he wants to. Um, but similar to Gonzalez, he does have pretty impressive agility and fluidity as well. So he does move like a much smaller player. And when it comes then to his mirror skills, so he shows a really, really impressive ability to mirror given his size. And it, it when you see him in press, especially from my standpoint, he's twitched up for such a big frame. And you watch how he's mirroring, especially um, receiver release packages, is super, super impressive. I think that's when I thought he was at his best. You get twitchy guys, maybe smaller guys on the other side of the line of scrimmage, and his footwork is impeccable at the line at times. So it will come to consistency issues, but some of the things he flashes there is really, really important. And when he does go in terms of he sees a receiver break and he really goes, uh, I love how he gets in and out of his pedal. Um, So there's times his anticipation, again, is not where you'd want it to be, and we'll come to that. But... When he does see it and he, and he clicks, he can really get out of his pedal nicely. So uh, impressive there. Finally, tackling. Uh, and obviously, we, we've referenced tackling in most of these guys because it's such an important part of what the Lions look for in their cover guys. Um, I don't love everything he does in the run game. I don't think he's as sound as some of the others. But he's a very effective and physical tackler. Um, so whilst you're not necessarily going to see him play super physical in the run game, shedding blocks, etc., when it comes to actually making a tackle, he only had one missed tackle this year. So uh, impressive numbers. In terms of weaknesses, consistency is kind of the glaring theme. 
Um, he isn't consistent with his technique, so that fluidity, which is such a strength, disappears if he falls behind this guy. His press technique definitely needs work. Again, this flashes of excellence and the mirror, the mirror stuff is really good, but whether it's hand placement or just consistency of what he's doing uh, is not there. In his pedal, so in his back pedal, for me, he's quite high. And that results in wasted steps. So if he's re reacting to a receiver break, especially at the top of a route, the receiver's chopping his feet and, and stopping, and he's taking two, three, four extra steps. And that's obviously just creating separation. And then he's not consistent with how he plays the run game. So yes, as a tackler, he's good, but he does show poor angles and inability to shed blockers, all that kind of stuff that you can clean up, but you would like to see. And then finally, and this is a weakness that I always struggle to overcome, um, especially with DBs, is awareness. So I don't see the awareness that I'd really like to see. Um, he does have mental lapses. For me, he lacks anticipation when those receivers break, and that's a really consistent theme. Ironically, he's a very inconsistent player, but he consistently lacks anticipation, which for me is a big flag. When he, when he does get out of position, he really panics. So Gonzalez, again, if we're doing comparisons, is fluid but is always under control. Uh, Banks is not. As soon as he feels like he's a step behind or he's lost the play, it's all panic. Um, in terms of all of this awareness, it matches with the fact that there's very little ball production. He's got two picks in his career over four years. Um, and a good example of play versus Michigan is he's in position. It's a loopy ball from the from the QB, and he has his eyes on it the whole time, but doesn't adjust his body while that ball's in the air. And so he actually has to snap his head around 180 last minute. The ball just falls straight in between his hands, and he doesn't get a hand on it. It's that kind of stuff that just makes you think, is he ever going to be able to make consistent turnover plays, even if he is going to make plays at the catch point in terms of breakups? I just don't see someone who's going to be turning the ball over on a regular basis. So in terms of player comparison, I've gone in a slightly different direction here. And I've actually gone for a player who made me think of him and is someone obviously the Lions know well, which is Ifatu Benafonwu. Um, both are a bit more raw than you'd like. Long cornerbacks who, for me, flash more in zone but have the traits to play man. It just didn't always translate. But impressive speed and agility, a little high in the pedal. Both miss some games due to injury. Both can be physical tacklers and physical players when they want, but it doesn't always show up. And both have everything you could want if they could put it together, but do show those same kind of concerns around awareness, play recognition, etc. Banks is definitely a bit more polished and uh, projects better than Melifonwu, but they're similar kind of toolsy players with the same question mark. So in summary, I like Banks as a player. I was really, really excited to watch him, having not seen as much of him, and, and he was getting a bit more buzzy, I think, over the last few weeks. The upside is absolutely tantalizing, but I personally wonder on his fit with the Lions as well. I see him more of a zone guy with man upside. The Lions being such a man-heavy scheme, it would be a bit of a baptism by fire. So again, I think he's absolutely in play at 18, and I will be quite excited if we get him, to be honest. I'm just not sure he's going to be as high up the list as potentially someone like a porter for what, uh, for what the Lions want to do. I was about to say, do, do you buy into the cause of him being around one pick then? Because if you go back to January at the end of the college season and the college, you know, the cornerback rankings are out, he's the one guy who's there now that, that wasn't there before. And I think mm -hmm. it's a lot to do with the combine, the athleticism, but do you buy into the first round hype for him? Uh, so he's the classic kind of guy for me who 
is very much a fringe round one, maybe early round two grade. But this isn't a draft where you're going to have 20 first round grades on people, to be honest. And so is he going to go in the first? I'm pretty confident he will because that upside is really, really intriguing. And those athletic traits are, I mean, as rare as it gets, really. So will he go there? Yes. Um, Does he have the potential to be special? Yes, as well. There's just the kind of questions that when, when I look at corners, things like awareness and football IQ are really important. You absolutely need to tick the athletic boxes, but they're the things that concern me really more than anything. So um, if you're confident he can overcome that, if he interviews well, etc., then I can absolutely be, see him being in play middle of the first round. I'd be really surprised if he dropped out of it, but there's definite kind of bust potential there as well. Anyone got anything else to add on Deontay Banks? Obviously, as you've been watching his teammate there. Any, anything else? So, yeah, I remember when I was watching um, Bennett, I saw a couple of those passes and I was a bit iffy about it. Because I was just said, um, I saw obviously athletic testing as well. I was like, that's why I wanted to look at the Maryland, one of the Maryland corners to get a sort of glance at both of them in a way. And yeah, I saw similar, like, and I can see what you mean with the iffy, uh, the iffy comp because, yeah, there were times where I could see on the All-22 where Banks at times when the receiver's going past, he kind of struggled to flip his hips. And that's the big thing that suppose he's holding Iffy back from being a corner for us. That's why they've moved him to safety because they feel he's better in uh, when he's off demand where he's not as um, he doesn't need to flip his hips as much. He can sort of read the route a, uh, a bit quicker and then react instead of having to sort of turn quickly. So I saw that as well quite a lot. But um, I think oh, uh, Scott Bischoff of the Detroit Lions podcast, when they had him on after the uh, the combine, he put it pretty well that he saw the tape, but he thought Banks would do well, but he didn't think he would do this well. So it's almost on tape, he doesn't play as fast, while there's other players like Porter, like Rush, like a couple of other guys who play fast on tape, but didn't run as well. So it's Interest, it's going to be interesting to see which side turns out better in this class. Is it the people who look better on tape and run fast on tape, but perhaps run like four fives, or the players who look four fives on tape but then ran like four 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 threes? Yeah, that's something there's more, any more that can be added to that. I think these Maryland corners are going to be very interesting to see what happens with them in the draft. So, you know, we'll be there soon enough. Um, I can see people putting questions in the comments. If you have any, put them in there. I will circle back round to them when we've done this, but I'm going to disrupt the flow of, of this so far. We're about halfway through the prospects already, so we are we are getting there. So, Ash, um, if you want to go on to your second guy, who's who's next? Hi, Ricky Stevenson, the uh, Miami cornerback. And before you start this, Ash... I know you are a Florida State fan, so I expect this to be completely and utterly unbiased against the Hurricane, okay? It will be, I promise. Okay. I made sure to... There's not even a mention of this year's game in there, because mostly because um, caddies didn't have it. So I've looked at UNC from last year instead. Cause it's, it's, I'll say it, he's a better NFL-style quarterback than Jordan, and he was matched up against some probably a slightly better wide receiver core. So uh, Tyreke Stevenson, uh, Miami cornerback, played two years at Georgia and then has played his last two years at college in at Miami, um, of Florida. Uh, Raz of 8.63, size good, being 6 foot, 198 pounds, and then 32 
and like two thirds arms, but he didn't do the bench. He'll probably do that at the twenty seventh for his pro day. The speed is great, being uh, four uh, four four five forty with a one point five one ten yard split. Explosion elite thirty eight point five vert ten point five broad jump, both of which do kind of show up on tape at times. But the agility was poor. Four point four one shuttle, which is one point eight three, and then seven point zero nine free comb, which is four point zero six. That definitely shows up on tape, as I'll come on to in a minute. The long, sp- the, the sort of north-south speed is there, but when it comes to going uh, side to side, it's not as good. So, PFF, he is a 76.6 grade this season, 60.6 against the run, 79.5 coverage, but then 46.4 tackling grade, which is not so good. So, um, as I said, I watched UNC from last year. Um, in that game, three tackles, no miss, no assist, three stops, one target, one reception for one yard, with one yard, which was just insane. This guy, when he's on the man, uh, he can shut him down. There's quite a few games that you can see where he only gave up like one reception for one yard. Uh, for, like one yard. I'm gonna, well, I'll briefly bring it in. He was matched up against Johnny Wilson this year, who's obviously the big six foot seven wide receiver flow state. Held him to one reception for eight yards. So that's really good for considering how big Johnny is and how fast he is. So Stevenson is really good in man, 74.7 man coverage, PFF grade. And the PFF draft guide says his play style is perfect for press man, which is because he has good balance at the line of scrimmage where he doesn't allow his feet to get fooled by any release packages. And he has the sort of prototypical size for an outside cornerback being six foot, being almost 200 pounds, and as I said, he keeps his feet under him. He doesn't overextend his body either at the line of scrimmage or when he's uh, tackling. And he has really, really good um, press technique where he, for- he forces his arms onto the receiver and forces them to slow down. And then he's really sticky with his man coverage. He doesn't let um, he doesn't let any targets come to his side of the field. As I said, he's very rarely targeted. He can really shut down the side of the field. And he when he is... Um, going against guys and vertical routes he's very good at using the sideline to uh, be an extra defender which is something that is sometimes missing from our cornerbacks we usually give the receivers inside leverage where we're not using the sideline to our advantage but in um, in zone he's still able to follow the ball so there was a reception where he's in uh, the flat and he sees that tight end was getting the screen he peels off from his receiver He's one of the first people to tackle the tight end. And when he's in man and zone, he communicates and hands off his receivers really well. Um, when it comes to the runs as well, he's able to read them early. He's got very good football IQ. He's able to sort through traffic and be the first man to the running back quite often. His weaknesses, though, and it comes back to his agility, when it comes to uh, inside routes, he's too quick to sit on them because he's almost scared to... Uh, uh, be caught lacking on them because he really uh, suffers from his urgency outside of his breaks. He's not a special athlete when it comes to his agility, so he's he can get left behind when uh, he's going against like a slant or an in route or a post. And despite his um, like record against him, he has really bad uh, ball tracking, which leads to not a lot of production on the ball. Like he only has a couple of interceptions in his year, uh, four years at college. Uh, he's missed 17% of his uh, career tackles as well, which is not so good for what we want our corners to do in the run game. And then it's not as big of a deal for us considering how much man we run. 
but he has a massive, massive tail for when he's in zone coverage, where at times he can almost line up perpendicular to the receiver and just staring at the quarterback. He's relying too much on his long speed, in my opinion, to bail him out on the deeper routes when he's doing this, and it needs to be coached out of him. PFF compares him to TJ Carey, who's been a kind of decent cornerback over his career, drafted by the Browns, is currently with the Panthers. But for me, I've gone a bit closer to home in terms of college and in terms of draft dates with Sean Murphy bunting, where he has the sort of solid prototypical type for uh, body type for an outside corner. He's solid in both kinds of coverage and he's good in run defense, but has a couple of tackling issues. So to sort of sum it up, he's a solid corner who has the build and athleticism to be a potential cornerback one but really needs to work on his technique. And he's currently cornerback 10 on the consensus board, 50, uh, 64th overall. So if he's there at 56, he could be worth a shot. But if he falls to 82, we need, we still need a kind of guy to be a uh, long-term outside guy. I'd run the card in for him potentially, despite him being a hurricane and how bad they've been this year. He's definitely got the tools there where he could potentially be coached up into a really, really good outside corner. So, um, sorry, just a bit of breaking news before we go down into there. The Lions have made another signing today. Um, Alex Anzalone is back in the Honolulu Blue. He has signed a three-year deal worth $18.75 million back to the Ooh. Lions. So, three years. That is quite an investment in our senior linebacker. He is going to be in Detroit apparently for the next three years um sorry there um ken um ash has just been talking about tyreek stevenson from miami yeah we'll try and mention the names a few more times so you don't lose who we are talking about yeah but alex anzalone back in the honolulu blue for three years once we've done all these corner comps we will chat about that a little bit more because i can already see there are faces on this panel and those faces need to say words about this not looking at Ryan McCluskey so <laughs> yeah three years 18 million for Alex Anzalone interesting but back to Tyreek Stevenson um, rest of the panel open it up to you anything else to add about the uh, the Hurricanes corner I don't think I've ever seen him play and to be honest I don't, I don't watch Miami no you're not on your own there so, so I can't either Tom anything else uh, watched a, a little bit um, when everyone talked about Keely Ringo and all the things he could do before I actually watched him play Stevenson was much more like what I was expecting Keely Ringo to be like I don't know if that makes any sense but Ringo for me can't really play man coverage um, and is a great athlete obviously but um, Stevenson is more what I thought I was going to get with Ringo and more the player that I think people were making him out to be at the start of the college season so um Nice player, maybe slightly athletically limited, but again, for me, would be more of a fit than someone like Aringo, who's obviously a much more well-known name in the Lions scheme. All right, that's everything about Tyreek Stevenson. Um, another bit of breaking free agency news, Jesse Bates has signed for the Falcons. Falcons going all in today. They've signed David Onyemata from the Saints. They've now signed Jesse Bates. They gave the guard a $105 million contract and there's someone else that they signed that I've forgotten about. Uh, they traded for John. Oh yeah, they traded Patriots. traded for John U. Smith as well. So Falcons are spending big in free agency here and Bates's deal is four years, 16 million per year 
fourth highest paid in NFL history for safety, I'm going to assume that is. So, Jesse Bates got paid there by the Falcons. Right, moving it on, and we are on to, uh, oh, I believe we're back round to me now. So, this is going to be a little bit of a shorter one, because this is on one of our development prospects. But the next guy I have up is Lance Boykin, who is the cornerback from Coastal Carolina. He is 6'3", 200 pounds, so all the prototypical size and strength types you want for a corner coming up to the NFL. But make no mistake, he is going to be a day three developmental pick. So in terms of the player himself, he's had a very hard road through college. So he's a very easy guy to root for. So he's been in college five years, spent his first two years with Old Dominion, um, in the CUSA, he went through, I think, three different defensive coordinators while he was there in two years. It was a bit of a mess whilst he was there. He lost his 2020 season to COVID before transferring over to Coastal in the Sun Belt, where he has been for the last two years. He was a rotational corner for them last season, and this has been his first real year as a starter so the year it's been pretty decent for him um again not really a pressure guy just once he's got one sack on the season that is his only quarterback pressure but tackling 44 solo 12 assisted only six percent missed tackle very low missed tackle percentage during his career which is really good for him 14 run stops a forced fumble when it comes to coverage he was targeted 55 times Gave up 33 receptions for 418 yards and four touchdowns. He had a pair of interceptions and four pass breakups as well. He is, as I say, the embodiment of a guy who's got everything athletically that you want. It's just about developing the tools with him. And, and I watch Coastal Carolina a bit, so I already had some prior knowledge of him on here. But the two games I had in mind were when they played Gardner-Webb earlier in the season and then in the... Championship game, the Sun Belt Championship game against Troy. But in terms of you know who he is as a player, so he he's going to be best utilized at the next next level in off man coverage. But he really fits a variety of schemes for everything you need. So I say he's elite size for the position. The athleticism is all right. The footwork is really good, which kind of makes up for breakneck speed there he takes good routes able to get able to get where he needs to go quicker so you can kind of forgive the speed on this one but coastal they they run a zone and off man system so completely different to kelly the first guy i did he was a press man boykin likes the ball in front of him he has great ability to close quickly on receivers and make plays again like i say the angles the leverage he uses immediately stand out when you start watching him on tape um in terms of ball hawkishness the ball skills need to get better he's only got four picks during his entire career which is four years in college and i think it's about 13 pass breakups so the production hasn't been there you can see a little bit why he sometimes struggles to dislodge the ball from receivers he kind of needs to get better with his technique the punches all that just trying to trying to loosen it and trying to finish off plays like i say the breakups are there doesn't always get the interceptions with him when he can do but like i say he's a guy who's gone through a lot of adversity so you've come to coastal cal after struggling at old dominion for so long coastal cal this year when when he needed to stand up for his team, he did. So the first game I watched was when they played Gardner-Webb. They are an FCS, time, an FCS team. 
Coastal should have had no problem with them. They nearly got upset by them in this game. Gardner-Webb played a terrific game, and it was coming down to the end. Gardner-Webb were actually leading, and when they needed him to show up, he picked... He got both his picks of the season at the end of that game in really critical game situations when their backs were up against the wall. He stood up and made the plays he needed to. He undercut one route and then the other is just sheer strength he used to, to wrestle the ball out from the receiver. And Coastal were able to win the game because of that. So, like you say, in terms of the mindset, what you need for the position, he's he's got that... The footwork is there, you know, the ability to diagnose plays is there. He's comfortable in man coverage on occasion, so he's kind of good at, he's kind of maybe average or above average at all kind of sex of playing as a corner, but you obviously need elite traits there when you're coming up to the NFL, which is why you're gonna be drafting him in day three. The technique needs to be a little bit better. Giving up leverage is an issue with him. You can see sort of the stronger receivers are sometimes able to lever him off the ball or out of position so they can make plays. But I think in terms of everything, when it comes to the run game, he's good in the run game. He's very physical. He's very aggressive, very willing. Some of the big bell cow running backs do give him issues. This was you know, very evident in the game they played against Troy when it came through to the Sunbelt Championship game. Troy loved to run the ball. They threw it a lot this day as well. They only targeted him twice because when it comes to throwing the ball, teams don't like to target him because as they, he, they know that he can lock down a corner of the field. But they were running at him a fair bit as well. And Troy, they're very heavily built. The linemen, they're swift. They're built well. He struggled in the run game there which is obviously at the next level he's going to need to learn to do that but like I say he's very willing he's got the leadership you want there he was a co-defensive captain on that team this year along with Jared Clark who's the nose tackle who's going to get drafted from there this year so the skill is there the leadership is there it's just kind of all around of his games he needs to bring up a bit but he's got the athletic profile and the size to do it I do quite like him I don't think we play the system for him to flourish here, maybe, like I say, there's a lot of zone and off man, but you can teach him to play in press. So, you know, I'm he'd be one I'd be looking at. If we're on day three and we still need a corner, and I'm looking at the list there, he's probably going to be at the top of guys I want to develop. But, you know, certainly it would be a secondary option and I wouldn't be looking at him at the top of the draft. But Lance Boykin, he's very, you know, go and, get, go and have a watch of him. He's a very interesting player, and I think there's going to be something there with him. So... We'll see with him anyhow. Anyone add anything to Adam Boykin? I know it's coastal. I know it's the Sun Belt. I know it's not the most popular if you're a casual college football player, but anyone else anything to add? I mean, he's got things Sorry. you can't teach, and he's going to be a, probably a day three pick, so I think he's probably the kind of guy that would probably go for rounds, like, say, six. Like, you see teams in the last few years, Dakota Durant, Robert Rochelle, they've taken a plucky pick on these guys that are small school but big bodied cornerbacks and they've got some production out of them early in their rookie year so I think he's someone that we'll probably look to and probably just be mould a long term project. Oh yeah, definitely definitely a project. Sorry Ash Ash. Oh I was just uh looking it up. He sounds very much to me like Kobe Durant, the corner that the Rams drafted last year. Kind of later a later guy but can cut so yeah fourth round South is from South Carolina State, so sort of kind of guy that is unheralded but can come in and start really well. So Durant, he only he played like 200, 250 snaps, but he came, he started in the second half of the season, and he 
was really good for them enough that obviously they've now decided to move on from Ramsey. So like, it'd be definitely worth a fly in the like later rounds if he's still there. And yeah, just just to have like a base, like a guy to come in who could come in and be a decent level starter for us in a pinch. Yeah, and that's what you're looking at with development guys. You're wondering why has the development not been there? And so when you look back. It's been very hairy in terms of having to change scheme, having new leaders in charge, then transferring teams. First year as a starter, you can see the potential in him there, but obviously you can see the rawness and everything that needs teaching. So you've got to be patient, but size-wise, it's going to be a dream for somebody. And I think he will, might get taken a little bit higher on that alone because I think you can just about see the basis of a all his game there, so we'll see. But yeah, that's Lance Boykin, Chanticleers from Coastal Carolina's cornerback. Uh, we will move it on to Ryan for his uh, his second guy. Ryan, who have you got next? I think we're on the hybrids now. Uh, I think I've got the most frustrating guy. Like I've never seen more frustrating tape than Julius Brent. Like I said, he's built like the Pokemon Matchock. I think physically, looking at all the corners we're talking about, I think he looks the best. He might even be the most athletic. 6'3", 200 pounds, 34-inch arms, 11.6 broad, 41.5-inch vert, 4.5340. He destroyed the combine. He smashed the senior ball. He's he's a freak. They say two years at Kansas State now, 94 tackles, six passes defended, forced fumble with five interceptions. And the two games I watched was the biggest game I think all these corners have played in. I say you had to guard Quentin Johnston in the Big Ten title game against TCU. And then against Baylor, where a bit flat. So against TCU, I saw everything. It was like a bag of licorice all sorts. He got a huge force fumble. He had an interception. He dropped a pick. Passes, uh, pass breakup, but also got two costly defensive pass interferences. He had one of the hardest tasks in the nation, covering six foot three Quentin Johnston. First thing I noticed is, too much contact. He grabs, he tugs, he tries to turn, and he got caught multiple times. He, he's going to get penalised at the next level because he's too physical. He's too rough, he's too rugged, and he, he just relies too much on that physicality. When sometimes it pays off, but sometimes it's very evident on tape. Uh, he's got the perfect frame build to length. So he understands uh, how to read a ball, he can track the ball and he's got that, he knows where the sideline is. He understands that the sideline is his best friend as an outside cornerback. He can pin a receiver to it or he can gradually fade over and make sure if a ball is caught, it's not caught inbounds. So he knows where he's in the field. He's a zone corner. I think he always will be. If not, he's a safety. This guy is the most likely to be moved out of the position. I don't think he'll ever realistically man. He likes to cover his space, not a person. But he did show in the TCU game he's got the ability to recover, which some guys just don't have that. Johnston beats him, leaves him in no man's land, and this is the, the notable player of the great. He comes back towards the ball, Johnston catches it. Some guys catch up with him, but he comes back, he runs in, and he punches the ball out. A great recovery, forces a fumble in a, in a title game. It was a notable player that changed the outcome. So I saw the good, the bad, and the ugly in the biggest games <coughs> of the training. Against Baylor, this was a bit more gritty, toughy game. He showed me that 
He's a very physical tank for that line of scrimmage. If a running back is coming out and he's going to meet him, he will he'll he'll lay the boom. He will drop the shoulder. He'll physically. He can also try set the edge. There's a player where he comes in to try uh, set the edge and uh, meet the running back coming out of the side. The guard comes round, <coughs> but he's more than willing to be swallowed up to try affect the running back or make him diverge or bounce outside. So he uses that big frame. He's not scared about the body. But the biggest issue from <coughs> all these were blockers. At least three times in the Baylor game, he is grabbed by a receiver, a tight end. He cannot disengage. He doesn't even like sometimes his tries. He's washed out of players. A running back will go right by him. He can't even get a finger on them. And it's just really frustrating for a guy of his size, his length, his frame. He just doesn't like contact. You lay hands on him, you can't chop. He's got no real moves. You can kind of just neutralise him. And they were running the ball at him quite a few times in both games. They will just grab him or they'll get their best blocker on him. And he was unable to disengage, which I found really frustrating. So in conclusion, this guy, he could be the best corner in the draft. The ball skills are there. He can track the ball. He can, he can improvise when he needs to be because he sometimes does get beat on man coverage. If you run him inside towards the player, you can get him rubbed. If, you, if you're the best route runner in football, you'll probably get him to run into his own defender because he likes to cover space and not the man, which is something a little bit worrying. But with a potential position change, he could be one of the best defensive backs at the end of the second round, start of the third round, because he's just got something that just guys don't have. He can play the ball. He's got the size. Like the guy's like a aerodactyl with a wingspan. He's got all the things you can't teach. Clean up the penalties. That's all I ask of him. Just stop grabbing. And I feel like you have a really good player on your hands. Maybe not in Detroit. I say he's more comfortable covering space, cover two, cover three. But I think there's a there's a real raw player there. And the last two years he's played some of the biggest games I've had to. And he's he's really come up with the good sometimes. You're gonna get the good, you're gonna get the bad. He's gonna frustrate you at times, but at times you'll think, Well, wow, he's just changed the whole momentum in the game. So he, he's a solid day two option. Guys, any any comments on Brent's? I know Ash especially likes his hybrids, so I know damn well he'll have been having a look at him there. What do we think? He's for time on my con. I completely agree. And I know we brought him up earlier, but having actually watched a bit of him, because uh, he first caught on to me when I was watching, when I, when I was doing a mock draft and I drafted him, so I had to watch him a bit. I know we brought him up earlier. He's very much is like iffy in a way as well. Elite athlete, but can he like has most of his skills but can he put it all together and you agree it'd probably be a similar situation to if he were for us he'll probably have to get moved back to safety for any other team who play probably plays a lot of man, uh, a lot of man coverage i'm talking the patriots tree the vikings this year when they're with them bringing in uh flores if they've got anywhere near him they're gonna have to move him back to safety because he just yeah, he just doesn't have it all currently for man coverage. He's gonna he's a project there, but if you put him at safety way, it's a bit easier. Can re- he's got a bit more space to read the play. He probably will do a bit better. Yeah, like Ryan says, in the big games he's actually done really well. I remember watching the bowl game against Bama 
and they targeted him. I think I think he gave up one touchdown in that. But I mean, you know, Bryce Young. I'm not going to hold that against him. But I remember him standing out. There were several pass breakups in there, and it good against the run. And it's against a good Bama's side. Against TCU, he was targeted 15 times, gave up five receptions, and that's Max Duggan and that offense, which rinsed a lot of good corners this year. He played well against Oklahoma. You've played against some really good quarterbacks, and you've seen him play well. So I'm with Ryan. I think. You can see the, you can see the, that there's a player there. You see the real good player. He's just got to tidy up some of the little fundamental bits in there. But he's very intriguing. I just, I just naturally don't like hybrids at that position. I'm just, I'm just naturally biased against that. I'm gonna say. But hey ho, Tom, have you anything to add about about Brent? No, all good. Right. Okay. So we'll move it on to the the final round then. So I will go back to Tom now. So one guy left, Tom. Who who have we got left this evening? We have Brian Branch, who I'll be honest, I'm very excited to talk about. So um, let's set the scene. Four-star recruit to Alabama, uh, six foot, 190 pounds. Uh, and it's probably worth, obviously, we're focused today on, on quarterbacks and that everyone automatically thinks outside guys. Um, Branch is the highest rated safety. Um, two reasons we wanted to cover him here along with some other guys in a similar mold. One, we might have time to go through every ev- through every position, but you will also find him uh, rated as a cornerback because he's more of a slot safety nickel corner type. So just getting that out the way uh, up front. Now, he played the star position for Alabama, so that is the hybrid safety nickel position. And the way to think of it is cornerback's body with linebacker mentality. Um, Nick Saban has always tried to get his best DBs in that position. So if you think back to Minka Fitzpatrick previously, he even tried to get past the tan to play there as well. So um, it's the position that Saban puts as much faith in as any in his defense. Um, overall, Brian Branch, not a particularly strong athlete, so a 6.13 relative athletic score, so good but not elite. Uh, he did have an elite 10-yard uh, split and broad jump, which we will come to why that is important. Um, in summary, it's not really about the long speed, it's about quickness, coverability, etc., which is where those athletic traits are more important. So strength-wise, that it all starts, you might realize I have a type, uh, it all starts with football IQ. Um, so he clearly has elite, elite football intelligence. So yes, Saban trusted him at the star position, but you can see him diagnosed quicker than anyone on the field. The very first rep I watched against Kansas State, um, there's so many parts of that first rep where you can just see him processing. And normally when you can see people processing, it means they're doing things way too slow. But with him, he's recognizing everything. He's recognizing on the opposite side of the field, the receiver starting his motion, thinking about how that's going to impact. When he returns and doesn't actually come across and the running back releases, his eyes go straight there. And then he's looking through to the the quarterback whilst coming out to the flat. And then he's looking outside to his right to see if the receiver stopped in the flat. It's just, it's so instant with him. And I think when it comes to safeties, especially and nickel guys, that's his important trait as any. So um, you can see a perfect connection between what his eyes are seeing and what his body is doing. Almost what I flagged with Gonzalez was a concern. None of that with Branch. He's reading the QB's eyes. He's jumping routes. He's timing the snap when he's blitzing. He's reading receivers' eyes down the field to make sure he gets his head round. Just all of these little things which really, really add up. So um, in terms of that, he's going to make other players and whichever team he goes to better because he's going to be so good at executing his role and so smart he is going to open up opportunities for other playmakers like a Kirby Joseph, hypothetically. So 
Really, really impressive football IQ. He has elite tackling ability. So a 91.8 tackling grade and 90.7 run defense grade from PFF. He only missed four tackles on 174 career attempts. The best PFF has ever graded. He plays so much bigger than that 190-pound size, which is a, is a question which we'll come to. But he can get off blocks with receivers. He can get off blocks with tight ends. Um, he shows burst to break on ball carriers as well. As soon as he sees the ball carrier, he goes and he hits. And what I love, especially in run D, is what he does in the alley. So between the receivers and the linemen, where guys 20, 30 pounds heavier, you see get bullied as safeties, it just doesn't happen with him. So yes, there are some physical limitations, but he plays so much bigger than his size. Um, and then finally, cover skills. We're talking about corners. We're talking about uh, nickel safeties. Cover skills are super important. So I'm not sure I want him playing predominantly in deep zones, personally. But as a nickel slot guy, he offers plenty. So he's very fluid for a kind of a safety in inverted commas. He moves like a corner in that way. Nice transitions. Um, his hips are good, which combined with his football IQ makes him really, really dangerous in zones. So um, there's a lot of stuff which is really, really impressive. When it comes to weaknesses, there really aren't many. Um, the only thing you can really pick at for me is is the physical traits. Whichever way you look at it, he is undersized. Um, now, I have less concerns about him playing up to NFL physicality. He was absolutely fine in the SEC, which I know isn't the NFL, but it's not like he's been playing some kind of lower league stuff where being 190 pounds doesn't matter. Um, I do question whether he's going to be able to stay on the field just because of the way he plays the game and his overall frame. So I would like to see him add 5, 10 pounds more muscle mass. Hopefully in an NFL weight room, he'll be able to do that. Um, but yeah, the physical traits are a slight concern. And if you're being kind of picky from a man coverage standpoint, and this is a constant theme, to be honest, you see with slot safety types, um, it's not perfect. So vertical routes can cause problems does give separation on some crosses as well. So it's not perfect from a man coverage standpoint, but honestly, you see that normally with these slot safety and, and with nickel guys in general. So player comparison, uh, I don't like going with common player comps, uh, but there is a lot of Minka Fitzpatrick in his game. Similar style players, both excelled in that star role at Bama. Minka's a bit bigger with, uh, with more long speed, more range, Branch a bit more explosive in the jumps. Um, but the guy who I like more as a comparison, and when this kind of clicked for me, uh, it just made me more excited, is Jalen Petrie. Now, long-time listeners will know that Petrie was my guy last year when it came to the draft. Um, he was another slot safety type. I had him going when we did our Lions mock to the Lions at 32. I had him ranked higher than that as a player as well. Um, but slot safety at Baylor, he showed really impressive football IQ and playmaking instincts uh, in the past game. Now, that's exactly what I see in Branch. The difference is Petrie was a pretty poor run defender. And that really translated to the NFL where he struggled last year. But he also picked off five passes and he is a playmaker. So with Branch, I think you're getting that. But you are also getting that really, really solid run D. And I guess the one-liner for me is that their eyes help them play faster than their time speed. So Petrie was a slightly better athlete, but there were the same questions about how good an athlete he was at the NFL level. Their eyes make them play faster than that. So for summary and, and, and fit, I guess, with the Lions, I still think Branch is one of the most underrated or maybe underappreciated players in this class. Um, I can see why people don't necessarily think superstar. I struggle to see why he can't have a Minka Fitzpatrick-like impact on the NFL. Not to say he will, 
But if you count Minka as a superstar at the safety position, I absolutely think Branch can be that guy. The combination of football intelligence, coverability, tackling ability, there's such a high floor even with that if he can stay healthy. So for me, um, he's a perfect fit for the Lions. I would love him at 18. What I would say is if you think about the safety position over the last couple of years, Lewisine and Daxton Hill, you were thinking, are they going to go middle of the first round? They went 31 and 32. The year before, um, Trayvon Merrick, he was like, is he going to be a mid-first rounder? And him, Rich Grant, Von Holland, all of them went early to mid-second round. So it feels like the NFL are maybe not prioritizing this position, these kind of players, as much as maybe historically they did. It wouldn't surprise me to see Branch fall to the end of round one just because of those slightly middling traits and he's not flashy in that way, I think he'll be an absolute steal. I'm very confident he's going to outperform his draft status wherever he's taking, uh, and I would love him on the lines. I mean, you mentioned about maybe him getting underrated there. Do you think it's maybe an offshoot of the other two safeties coming out, Battle and Helms? Because I think people think... Well, I do. I think Battle is he's, he's solid. He's safe. He's got a high floor, but not a high ceiling. And Helms has had that trouble as well. Do you think maybe he's getting a bit of that rep because of those two as well? A, a little. And also, I just don't think nickel corners are... F- like He's not flashy in terms of he's not... I think he's exciting because I nerd out on good quality DB play. But he, he's not. he's not a guy who's having loads of highlight games he had an awesome game against kansas state but the rest of it is just really solid like high level execution and if you think about the other dbs in this class witherspoon obviously that incredible hit which has been played a hundred times gonzalez blowing up the combine joey porter like all of these guys are much more buzzy flashy interesting and i just think that branch everyone's like yeah he's a really good player anything more to say not really and so he's not getting the same buzz at the media level potentially other than people thinking he's a really good player and just what we've seen the last couple of years i would have expected some of the names i listed off previously to go higher so i just think the league is gonna prioritize the trenches and other things like that or really really elite athletes over a guy like brian branch and i think a team is going to be very very happy that he falls in their lap wherever that is so at 18 I mean, there's safety there, but we talk about the corners. Where, where does he rank on your list of guys at 18 in terms of defensive backs? If, One. If, so, assuming the top uh, guys have gone. Gonzalez and Witherspoon are gone, which I think is a fair assumption. I, would, I personally, and like I say, I do need to go back and watch Porter. Um, I have branched definitely ahead of, of Porter and Banks, who I have maybe in that kind of tier B for corners. I just think he's such a great fit for everything the Lions want to do. Um, in terms even looking at Aaron Glenn and the kind of player he was who was the kind of um, overlooked smaller feisty physical guy who plays bigger than his size that's Brian Branch and we talk about how Witherspoon is that guy at at the corner position but Branch is that but with just such incredible football intelligence with the skill set which will fit some of the Lions flaws which I think we can all agree over the last few years Lions tackling in general has been if not awful, let's go with very frustrating to watch. So I just think he's such a great fit for what we do. He's the kind of guy who will blow up the interviews. I think it was Campbell was asked at the combine. He said there's was there like three or four guys who like tick their box in terms of football competitiveness out of the 20-ish they interviewed. There is no way if they interview Brian Branch, he isn't one of those. So I just think he's a, he's a, he's a great fit. And will he ever reach the ceiling of someone like a Minka Fitzpatrick? I don't know. 
I, I just can't see a world that he is not a good, serviceable NFL player, which, let's be honest, the Lions defense needs. Yeah, I, I mean, the reason I asked is because you were asked the question. Ken said, Tom, Imo Branch goes high in the second round. We know where you think he'll go now, so there's a bit of a difference there. But he goes, do you think he would fit our squad better than a cornerback like Forbes in that draft area? I think we can answer that question as a yes, quite um, quite definitively there. Um, Ash, Ryan, anything you want to add um, on Brian Branch? I love him. If we can't trade back from 18, I will give away our second round pick to trade into the end of the first. Like I said, we know Minnesota are very receptive to our trades. I'll give them our second round if they'll give us our move up to that first and I'll take him. So I think it's worth going back into the first round again. Same. uh, We all know I love my uh, slot hybrid guys in this draft class. Not just Branch, but obviously the couple of guys later like Chris Smith and... uh, Mr. Robinson. Um, but yeah, for me, Branch is very similar to a guy who's big free agent this year, plays a similar role and has experience in the Glen. Branch is very much like CJ Gardner Johnson in the fact in the way he plays for me and similar athletic profile. Yeah, Johnson was slightly bigger and ran slightly faster at the combine, but in terms of play style and how they look, it's quite similar. They're not flashy, though. John, uh, Gordon Johnson probably is going to get the bag this se- this off season, but that's the, if you can get that kind of play out of Branch, which is entirely possible, you've got yourself a damn good slot safety for the next five plus years easily. Yeah, so a lot of love on the panel there for Brian Branch, and maybe a name we might see in the draft sooner rather than later. Maybe for the Lions, who knows? Um, For the cornerback aficionados out there, um, Jamal Dean has just signed his deal, by the way. Very highly sought after by the Lions fan base as a corner. He's actually gone back to the books. They've given him a four-year, $52 million deal. So mix that against the three years, 33, we've given for Cam Sutton. Um, Which would you rather pay? Let me know in the comments. Would you would you rather have paid Camson or would you rather have gone a bit more on Dean? But he has got his payday there. Right, Ash, we are coming to your final guy for the evening. Who have we got? Barrett Williams, the Syracuse corner. Which it, it's going to be an interesting watch because he's kind of the opposite of some of the guys we've discussed already. So, obviously, Syracuse is where if he came from. So... They play a lot of like off man and zone, but Williams has not suited. He's much better suited for press man, in my opinion, in terms of his play style and body type. So that PFF also backs up in their draft guide. So unfortunately, he tore his ACL this season, so he didn't really do that much at the combine, other than just measuring at five foot ten, one ninety two, with a thirty one inch arm. So. Again, on the smaller side, but he's definitely got the sort of bulk to play. So this in his couple of games this year, he's got himself a 70.1, uh defense game from PFF with a 72.1 coverage. But considering we're looking at mostly last year's tape, he got himself a 66.9 defense grade, 16, uh, 65.4 coverage, 64 against the run, 69 tackling, and then 80.2 pass rushing. So I watched him... I can't even remember who I watched him. Oh, it was against... Um, give me a sec. Clemson, of course it was. Uh, so I watched him against Clemson in 2021. So DJU. So not the best quarterback to probably watch him against, but it's definitely a 
really good team. So against them, he had five tackles, no miss, no assist, one run stop, and he gave up five receptions on eight targets for 25 yards. But he, he also only played the first half. He only had 35 snaps. So who knows what happened in the second half. So, as I said, he's um, very inexperienced in press man. He's only had 118 snaps on, in it over his three years as a starter, while and 25.1% uh, of his reps in 2021 were in man coverage. But this is because of his scheme more than his body type. He's much better suited for man coverage than he is um, Zona said, and PFF backs it up with their own analysis, so it's not just me that's seeing it, which is why I'm bringing him up, even though he's plays in such a heavy zone scheme. So, um, but this also is a positive because let's say we do well this year and Aaron goes. Obviously, if the new defense coordinator wants to change the scheme up a bit, once he wants to move to more off man, he wants to put in more zone. Williams is well versed in all three and is suited for like can play all three, which is very good. Gives him a couple more points. And he, he's very, he's got very, very, uh, very, very good football IQ. He can read the play very well, whether it's run, pass, RPO, whatever. He always, he can play with his eyes Q, uh, and QB, and he can blow up screens quite quickly. There was a couple of times where BJ passed it off to the running back, and Williams was like that on the screen. And he has no real major hiccups in any kind of coverage. He closes in quickly on in-break routes. And he usually gives the outside leverage using the sideline as a, a second defender, which is quite, quite value in uh, outside corners. And his hips are very, very, very fluid. He can easily flip them in zone or man. And he has good foot speed as well. So despite him usually allowing free releases because of Syracuse's scheme, Williams is, is not lost by any release packages. He's able to stick to his receiver and um, stay with them. And he tackles really well, which is obviously something we value but he, uh and he's got the best career miss tackle rate out of the three guys are looked at with uh 12 percent and when he's allowed when he's able to um because of his obviously with his size he's not so good against blockers but when he's able to get past his blocker he gets downhill fast on run plays he triggers quickly and moves to either wrap up as the second defender or to fill up a gap and he communicates really well pre-snap with his teammates obviously usually in zone but he's also to do able to do in Tunkin Man, which is something we need because that was a real issue for us last year was obviously passing off guys, communication, knowing who was doing what. But his weaknesses, as I said, not to experience a press man. And when it comes to transitioning from, uh, to put it colloquially, the ass, from grass to ass, so moving from zone to more man coverage as the play goes on, he can sometimes stick onto the back hip of the receiver too much and he doesn't really move to try get back in phase and get himself in the best positions and also as uh, because of his smaller size at five foot ten he can get bullied by bigger guys so against clemson quite a lot of his completions they gave up was against david allen their big tight end in zone coverage and um because of it uh large amount of zone he plays if he is stuck on a receiver he's pretty much out the player that's it he's going to get blocked off and he won't be able to affect the play and obviously he's coming off a torn ACL, so he won't likely won't be fully, fully fit to be able to play until 2024. So because of this, he's probably he's slipped down a lot in terms of boards. Like he's opened up the season as a borderline round one, round two guy on a load of boards because of his skills. But because of his injury, he's slipped down. So it's a very similar situation to James Mitchell last year, who obviously tore his ACL, was a 
really high uh, talent wise in terms of tight end but obviously we managed to scoop him up so it could be a similar situation for Williams where if he's there at day three and we've got a trader back for a fourth round uh, fourth rounder I'd run the pick in because you can sit him behind Cam Sutton behind Jerry behind Jeff uh, like wean him in as he gets better as he gets healthier and then to open next year we could potentially have a really good cornerback too uh, uh, but at the same time he's currently a cornerback 12 on a consensus board he's around the same area that Kai Blue Kelly is and given obviously Kelly's not injured and he's a bit more versed in bank coverage I hate to say it but I would probably take Kai Blue Kelly because it's just an easier transition into our scheme but as I say if he's there day three and we need another outside kind of style corner then he's definitely there and to make top it all off my comparison before today Cam Sutton so it's kind of interesting that a guy I've uh, a guy that I've comped one of my favourite corners in this class to is now a Detroit Lion it's a good person for him to learn off see it's funny that you use a comp like him because I think Garrett Williams because of the injury I think he's becoming the draft's best kept secret possibly because this is a deep corner class, and out of sight, out of mind. I think everyone's forgetting what he can do. And for me, he's like the bowling pin of this lot. If you want someone to go in and wreck shit up as a corner, he's the guy you turn to. He's like that dominant alpha who will go in. He's a small. He will take on guys bigger than him. He'll take on a lead receiver, swat him out of the way, and then destroy a ball carrier. That's the kind of guy that he is and you know that Syracuse defense they are hardy hardy guys on there and I feel that he's been forgotten about so there will come a time in this draft where if he's sat there and that injury has still affected him you're like you can't say no because like you said with the upside that is there with him I mean he's gifted in press which is kind of what you want here it's kind of the thing we've been at and like I say he just fits the alpha gritty mentality that Dan Campbell is I think if if Dan Campbell sort of sat down and had a chat with all of these guys or spent a day with them he'd be the one that he'd take to the most just based on his personality but that's just me I do quite like him and I know the ACL injuries and that, but we've seen with Mitchell. We will see with Mitchell this year that the league was wrong to let him drop so low. I think Mitchell's going to have a great year. I think Williams will be similar. Ryan, Tom, any any other words you want to mention about Garrett Williams? Well, I've loved him. I've loved him for years. He, he goes like against everything I think about play drafting players with bad injuries. I don't care. I'll throw a third rounder at him, stash him for a year, and I guarantee in twenty twenty four. He wins a starting job because that's just who he is. And what he could do in the backfield, uh, he's got that kind of Buda Baker-like missile mentality, tackles for losses, he'll take down a running back, he'll knife through blocks. Like I said, I think he's just got he's got a bit of a dog in him. And I don't care if he's only like 5'10", a buck 90. Players being like, yeah, he's, I, I love him. If he'd not torn his ACL, I reckon probably goes second round this year. Uh, I wouldn't surprise me if someone throws that high, but yeah, I, I really like him. I think he really fits in what we're trying to do here. So I, I'm fine if I draft him and he don't play a single snap all season. So pre-season, he was getting mocked as a first-round corner. He was he was like above a lot of the guys who were there now. That is the level he was at. Similar to, and we mentioned Mitchell again, but Mitchell was getting mocked in the third round before his injury. He was a solid day two pick. He fell all the way into day three just because of the ACL. So I can see some 
similar happening with him, except from going like five to seven. Garrett's probably going to go from one to three or four, which is why I think the value is there to be had with him for sure when it gets past a certain point. If it's like eighty-one, then like Ryan said, you've got to. It's got to be in the back of your mind. If you're like, do I want a second corner? I've got one. Do I need another? He would be in play, and he was injured early in the season, so I don't know how much it's going to affect his rookie year. So, you know, see, Tracy's already back in training after a bad Achilles injury. Maybe he could be fit for the season. Who knows? Um, is there anything you want to add, Tom? No, he's just disappeared very briefly. So, I was going to move it on. So I did have the last guy on the panel here, which was um, Corey Trice Jr., who is the cornerback from Purdue, who the Lions met with the other week. So instead of doing Devon, I thought I will do him. However, just in the course of going through all my notes and bits here, I've just deleted my entire scouting report on him by accident, and I cannot remember it all off by my heart. So... I will, I will put Trice in the college show on Wednesday um, because I don't want to do him any disservice. Suffice to say, I've watched that Purdue team a lot because I love Aidan O'Connell and I think I just didn't notice him in that team. But when I started watching the tape, he's actually a damn good corner. He is going to be a development guy at the next level. But if you want sort of a very physical, aggressive, developmental press coverage corner... Which is why I think they're interested in him. I mean, he, he has really piqued my interest with it. But I, I will do the full review with him on Wednesday. Because I don't want to do him a disservice. Needless to say, I can understand why the Lions are after him. And I think when all is said and done, if we get to day three, day two, and he's still there. And they still need a corner. He's going to be right on the top of the list there. So I'll keep my eye out on it. So Corey Trice I will do on Wednesday. Right, so that is ten prospects. Oh, we've done a nice even 10 for the evening, so that is all well and sold there. So just, just to sort of round it off, this is you know, this is a very deep corner class. We've talked about many corners for a very long time now. With with Cameron Sutton been signed today, I just want an answer off the panel off each one of you. Who is now your number one guy you want in the secondary? Out of everybody. Does this change anything? I'm I'm intrigued. Tom, who do you most want? in the secondary now that we've got Cam Sutton. So the three guys for me are Gonzalez, Witherspoon, Branch. And I think we can get Branch at 18. And I, I don't think we can get Witherspoon or Gonzalez at 18. So if I had to pick and choose right now, um, and I'm sure we'll get to takes in terms of who we want to take at six, um, for me it would be Branch. Because I just think he's so versatile and he's such a great fit for what we do. Um, I think, as Ken said, there's a good chance that he's not only there at 18, but he could fall into potentially the second round. I don't know. But I just think he's going to be such a good player. So for me, I would still go there at 18 and potentially use that sixth pick elsewhere. Um, wink, wink, let's not get into the Anthony Richardson discussions, but maybe use it elsewhere outside a corner. Um, but that's nothing to do with the fact we've taken Sutton, which, as I think we all touched on earlier, I don't think should change the the draft strategy. Take the guy you think is is the best player available at six. Okay, I, I was just wondering more if you know, you really liked a guy where Cam Sutton plays. Has it changed who's like your favourite now? But Ryan, who, out of everybody now, all the corners, all the safeties, all the hybrids, who, who, who do you most want to draft out of them all? Uh, I only want defensive backs at 18, Branch and then Porter Jr. in that order. I'm not interested in anyone else. If it's not one of them, I'll wait until round two. I, I'm now a baller. I, I'm now a cornerback six. Yeah. 
Give me Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. One of them is now probably going to fall. Mm. I will pass on cornerback. Yeah, I, th- I think that was always the plan, though. If one of them fell, we did no way we'd go corner there. But Ash, are we, are we clean sweeping this thing? Who, who, who? Is, no, oh no, who, who, who is it then? Still with us, Boone. Still, I, you cannot have enough good outside corners. And as much as I love Branch, the drop off between him and then Chris Smith and ja- uh, Jamie Robinson isn't as big. At, as of other positions so if I had the choice between let's say uh, Branch at 18 and then I don't know a DT in the third round or you could give me Cancy at 18 and then either Chris Smith or Jam- uh, Jamie in the third round I'm taking the latter option because it's just a net bigger gain in my opinion and Witherspoon is just such a good scheme fit I know Sutton's good but Having then you, you have potentially four guys who can start on the outside and be re, uh, play really well in Sutton, Witherspoon, Jeff, and Jerry. Let's say Jeff doesn't ball out, he's gone at the end of this year. You've still got a guy, an alpha dog, who can come in, beast cornerback one for a long time and play really well. Sutton can move around the secondary. Jerry is a very, very good cornerback, too. That would set us up so well for this division where you've got. Christian Watson, you've got Justin Jefferson and then you've got whatever's going to happen with Claypool and DJ Moore with uh, Fields running on the ball. Just sets up so well. So I'm still on with a spoon. Yeah, if Carter falls to us, then maybe I'll be tempted. But if it's a corner in the first round, it's got to still be with a spoon for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to split the panel here and, and it's still with a spoon for me as well. I, I, I just want two great ones. So him and Cam Sutton, Jerry and Jeff... I'm very happy, dude. And maybe a development guy later on. We will see. But, yeah. So, hopefully you know a little bit more now about some of the more intriguing cornerback slash cornerback hybrid prospects in this draft now. But we've got to get back onto the Lions now. We, we, we've not really talked much about the moves made so far. I just wanted to get the corners done first and then we can just sit and have a chat here. So, we've talked about Cameron Sutton. So, his contract... Um, interesting it's come out the way that it has been structured so in 2023 this year I've seen he's got 1.1 million fully guaranteed obviously all these deals backloaded 2024 he's got 10.5 million guaranteed for injury at signing there's 9.9 million guaranteed for skill cap one and a half million guaranteed for the third day of the 2024 league year and then 2025 he's also got a 10.5 million cap bit so it goes 1 million 10.5 10.5 interesting note there are two void years on this deal and in my experience if you're putting void years on a deal this early so what happens if you cut him on his last year those void deals roll together so the dead cap impact is more on you so that feels like they're kind of setting up for him to be here longer than his three-year deal if you put in void years and spreading the cap cost out maybe you might have him at the end i'm not sure but that's how the contracts work in there so far um but we'll talk about him now and i know ryan's probably ready but it happened during the show our linebacker issue has been <clears throat> sorted or addressed, whichever way you want to phrase it. Um, during the f- free agency frenzy stream earlier, someone asked, what, what is your new top priority when we got Cam Sutton? I'm like, it's got to be linebacker now. We've got to do something. We need a vet in there, whether it's Alex or not. 
the Lions listened, um, maybe not to the degree I wanted them to, but he is back. So the deal, as it has been done, I think it was three years, 18.25 million, if I get it right. The actual sort of breakdown of it is not here yet. 18.75 million over three years. So that is a pay increase. For now, it looks about 6.25 million per year, a little bit more than he was earning before. Um, I'll go to you first, Rags. I know you want to talk about this, but but what do you feel the decision to stick with Alex potentially for another three years? Hey, I'd let him walk. I only wanted him for a year and draft his replacement. I don't care how the numbers pan out. I don't like the contract. I like him. He's a good guy. He's the best linebacker we've got right now, but. I wouldn't have tied myself to him any more than I had to. Because I really wanted to go get someone like Jack Campbell in the second round, who is basically a better Alex Anzalone. And you can dispose of Alex in a year and you can leave on good terms. But, nah. Uh, there's no way for me those numbers can really make sense or it can be sweetened for me. So, we are very um, heart-on-sleeves kind of guys on here. But I know... If I need a voice of reason on here, Tom can be my voice of reason when it goes down to these deals. And Alex is a very, let's say, divisive figure amongst the Lions fan base. The Lions absolutely love him to death. The fans, it's love-hate with him at this point. But I don't know, Tom, did did you see this coming? What what do you think of the three-year $18.75 million deal for Alex? Obviously, in lieu of not knowing about it fully, but what's your immediate thought on it? So I thought he was going to come back, probably. Oh, I think there was a good chance. And so him coming back wasn't a surprise. I mean, I'm sure we can go back to the the YouTube stream. I was pretty surprised when those numbers were read out. Mm. Um, It feels like a lot of money, to be honest. There are two things which I guess I'm trying to talk myself into or have been trying to in my head over the last half an hour. The first one, we need to see what the deal actually looks like because you can have team-friendly three-year deals and you can have player-friendly three-year deals. Um, And for me, if it's not something which we can get out of easily after two years and still potentially even get off after one, that's unlikely, um, then I'll be more concerned. Uh, For me, it should be be a two-year deal with almost a third-year option. That's not how how NFL deals work, but that's what it should feel like, which is we don't get punished if we end things after two years. If it's that, I can come to terms with it more. The only other thing is, because I was so surprised by the number, I looked up um, inside linebacker contracts, and it's a really weird place. So you've basically got guys in the kind of 10-plus million. We've got guys in the kind of 18-plus million, which is four or five guys. And then you've got a couple at 10. And then it just all, it's, it's very sparse. In this kind of six million range, there's just not much there. So you've got like, Miles Jack on eight million, Devin White seven point three. That's a rookie contract, so it doesn't really count. So you basically got Miles Jack at eight million. Now Anzalone at six point two five, Josie Jewell at five point five, Christian Kirksey at five, Jordan Hicks. So it's all it's all kind of no man's land. So as a result, it's almost like what what were you going to pay him if you wanted to keep him in the buildings? So, look, on the surface of it, it feels like too much money for me, personally. Um, it will be really interesting to see what do the other free agent linebackers, whether it's Van Der Esch, Pratt, 
uh, all those kind of guys, Kazir White, wh- what do they get? If they get about the same... Sorry? I think Jermaine Pratt's got like $24 million. I think his deal is for about a couple of years. Oh, he got signed it. Yeah, he got yeah, signed he's today. Back to really? Um, hang on, let me just uh, get the yeah. deal up here for you. It was three and a half million, I think, the Bengals. For three years, probably, or something. I think it's three years. Yeah, because in which case... That, so, again, I would rather play Pratt eight million than Anzalone six probably I wouldn't really want to pay eight million to a linebacker in general but I think you're getting more player for your money there so look, six million for me is probably too much but by the end of the week when we look back at linebacker contracts is this there or thereabouts for starting Mike of this kind of level potentially but for me it's not like Anzalone set the world on fire the last couple of years his first year was pretty poor and he didn't start last year well, but did definitely pick up. He's clearly a leader, but we're not talking about elite on-field performance here with a guy who's very injury-prone and I'm not sure is going to be playing consistent snaps in the league past three years' time. So, so yeah, that, that's that's where I stand. So Jermaine Pratt well, signed three years, $21 million. So uh, he's, he's averaging about a million a year more. $10 million year one, fifteen over the, the next two. Yeah, I mean... Well, you can't just. This isn't Madden in that you can't just drop a player in. Anzalone's got a big impact on this team away from what he does on the field, yes. But uh, to me, Pratt's clearly a better player uh, who's younger and not injury prone in the same way. So, like, I, I would absolutely have a Pratt over an Anzalone on my kind of Madden team, so to speak. But Alex offers a lot behind the scenes from a leadership standpoint. So, I don't know, Ash, what's your initial thoughts on it? I'm probably going to go against the grain here and say I am, I'm, I'm definitely reserved. I'm obviously going to reserve judgment until the contract numbers come out, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is a, the first year's like fully guaranteed. There's in this stuff to do with like play time slash injury stuff in there. And it's only that first year. That's the big one. That he can be cut next year. I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest. Cause I think the team does have that mindset where he's got the leadership and he deserves to be rewarded for his play. Like he's been decent while he's been here. So the rewarding for that, that's why they've gave him a longer term deal, more money. But at the same time, they're also probably going to have the future in mind and be like, okay, he might not keep this up and we probably still need to get younger at the position at some point. So they'll only guarantee us like the first year of it. And then the, it's like team options basically for like the second and third one. Because I, I agree, we need to get better position, but this is just giving us that sort of baseline that I argued with Will Harris for the slot in my article on the slot ages ago. You need to have some level of baseline with where we're going to hopefully be this season, where we're going to be contending. You want to have at least someone you know you can plug in and start at any time of the season and be like, okay, you're not going to be complete and utter liability. I know what you're going to be able to do for me. Mm, so interesting Quincy Williams the Jets linebacker he got exactly the same deal today pretty much from the Jets so he got three years 18 million so again kind of in that ballpark there I don't know so he's back what do we reckon this does for the draft prospects of a linebacker is, has that diminished now or is, is, do, you, do you think they will still go in that direction Cause three years is, is a commitment to him and Malcolm's going to be a starter they're maybe going to hope Barnes is going to get better has, has that just bumped it down the list of priorities for the draft to quote no. It, to quote Riz, the team likes the linebackers and they're probably not gonna, still not going to go one early because it's not... I, I'm saying this with like 
it's like tongue in cheek now looking at the contract, like seeing the contract, but they don't really value off ball linebacker that much. So it still would, it's not a main priority still in the draft at all. And it's, we're probably going to have to sit here and wait and it'll be like a round three at the earliest kind of situation. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I get the feeling that it's maybe going to do that too. So maybe a high end linebacker prospects, we need to bring it back in a little bit because we may end up disappointed otherwise. Um, all right, let's... Just, just on that, I tell you what's going to be interesting related to this, and so not linebacker specifically, but I'd say most people were pretty happy with what Brad Holmes has done so far, including, let's say, the, the analytics guys. Now, if the Lions are going to give Anzalone 19 mil over three years and then hypothetically maybe give Jamal Williams a decent contract too. You might get some questions as to whether you're investing that much of your resources and free agency towards linebacker and running back. So I'm intrigued as to, not that I think it will influence Holmes' decision necessarily, but if you pay Sutton all that money, which I think mostly we're all pretty positive on, but then you pay Anzalone all all that money, can you really afford to give a kind of 1B running back a decent chunk of cash as well. I think it will be really interesting to see. So, actually I'll segue into that in a minute because that's what I was really going to ask next. Um, Man Bear Pig agrees with you. Actually goes, Ash is the voice of reason on this one. So, you know, this it, there's such a wide spectrum of opinions when it comes to Alexander Lodi. Quickly first, so we've sorted corner, we've sorted linebacker. So now as it pertains to free agency, um, Where's the most urgent position of need for you now? Where, where would you, if they were going to go next, just hypothetically, where would you like it to be? Again, I'll go around. Tom? Oh, you keep putting me on the spot. I'm All right, right. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do it the other way. Ash. <laughs> Ash. I'm, it's probably not going to be a popular opinion, but X receiver. I can live with, I hate to say it, but I can live with losing a Jamal and bringing in a lower tier running back. And in the same at safety, perhaps not bringing him back to Sean Elliott, or maybe even losing Kamish. But for me, this offense still needs an X style guy. I know we've got Cephas, but he can't really be trusted. We need just that big bodied contested catch guy just to keep the basketball team like room of receivers going because we've got obviously got Amon Ra, we've got Jamo De Burner, we've got Khalif who can do stuff from the slot and is speedy and can do returns we just need that guy you can you to part of my french but someone for a golf at late in the game to win a game where they can throw a bucket ball to someone say one i'll give you a chance to win us the game chart can offer us that who else on the roster currently do we have that can do that no one so for me that's where i'd be looking next so ash wants x receiver ryan where's next in the priority free in the free agent list where, where's priority now I don't like running back free agency class. I, I just don't really like it. So there's got to be a draft because bringing back Reynolds is just foolish. I, I hate that. Okay. So I'd probably... I, the way I work out is uh, Chark, Deshaun Elliott, Kamish, two out of three are not coming back. That, that is, I don't think any of them are coming back, but at least two of them are definitely not coming back. And DJ Chark is... Anyone that thinks Chark's coming back, like, think again. He's getting the bag, and we're certainly not giving it for his subpar player and his lack of availability. So, yeah, I agree. Right, if you can go get a Darius Slater, if you can go throw a, a pick at, like, I don't know, uh, the Broncos are shopping all their guys. If you can get one of their cheap outside receivers, if you can go get Colton Sutton, 
for a third round pick, do you know what? Go do it. Because he's he's criminally underrated, he's been wasted, and he could fill a hole. But then you've still got guys like Alan Lazard's here. I'm looking at like options at receiver. Cephas, the guy's made a pit the last year. Like cut his ass. Do not bring him back. He can't be here next year. Wasting up a roster space. We're gonna we've got to draft a receiver if you don't bring one in. Mm. So yeah, the receiving core is very fragile. If one or two go, it'll tip it in a bad balance. Interesting. Receiver, receiver, Tom. You made your mind. I very much agree with what you guys are saying. I think, and I've just been scanning the free agents list now because I don't really have a solution. We cannot enter the 2023 season with the interior D-line that we currently have. Now, am I happy that we brought Bugs back? Yes, definitely. I think that was a really important low-risk move. Uh, Benito Jones, I think, has been tendered as well. Great. Um but we we've seen exactly what happened last year right and we need new talent new reps in that room how we actually pay for them i'm not sure um but i would much rather be using what little resources we have to try and pick up some guys on the interior there because otherwise it suddenly becomes i mean likely our most pressing need in the draft and for me then actually one of the very few positions that you cannot afford not to address probably in the first two days of the draft and you never want to be going into a draft with that approach so for me whether it's by trade whether it's free agency whether it's getting creative in some way shape or form i think we have to get some more talent on the interior there we go so a few interesting options there steve was thinking the way i'm doing he goes a safety becomes a real need if they don't re-sign elliot which is true because I know Tracy's well on his way back from injury, but you've got to take it with a pinch of salt, the severity of the injury and how quick he's back. You can't rely on him coming back at full speed next year. And if there's no Elliot, there's him and Kirby. And there's, you know, I, I'm not going through the whole thing with Iffy again. He shouldn't be there. But I, I think that is a need as well, possibly. So I think safety is starting to take priority, especially on the defence now for free agency. Um, what was the other thing mentioned there? Um, Steve August, I want them to re-sign Kaminsky. The Browns were meant to be really interested in him, but they've just signed Okoronko to like 23 million. So there goes the depth edge position. So I don't think Kamish is going there. I don't know how big his market is outside of that. So... He might well be back. Um, who knows? Um, so we've got a few others to discuss before we round this out. You mentioned Craig Reynolds. They've bought Craig Reynolds back for a year. I mean, Ryan shaking his head there. And, you know, I, I can kind of understand it. For me, I feel like this signals the end of Jamal. Because I wouldn't be bringing Craig back with Swift here if I'm bringing Jamal back as well. I ain't running this running back room back. I'm not going with the same guys. I'm taking a guy in the draft and I'm taking one high. I'm rejuvenating the room and having rookie contracts for the future. But I don't know, Ash, what, what do you think about Reynolds coming back? I mean, obviously, he's very easy to root for. The Lions love him. This one you saw coming? I didn't see it coming. I would have thought it would be tendered. But obviously, supposedly the only one that hasn't been tendered properly has been given a separate deal. But at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if after the draft or at some point before, a certain little NFC South team who, who took our running backs coach comes along and dangles a little carrot in front of our faces and says, we'll give you a late round pick for this player, please. 
I could 100% see Juice going to Reich and Tepper and saying, go get me that guy. I showed you what I could do with him in the preseason. Let's give him an actual solid run. And if we get a six or seven out of him, I would happily say that, even if it means we have to eat a tiny bit of cap, like 500k dead cap trading him. Because it's, as you say, we can't run it back and... It's, it's perhaps it's me trying to leap to conclusions, trying to make some logical sense out of it. But if that's if that's what happens, I'll take it because it's an extra little swing. We could get another guy late. It, uh, even if it's someone like God, what's his name? The can maybe like the Kansas State guy, Deuce Vaughn, because I suppose he's re slipping down boards because of the size. If the team likes him as a sort of long term swift replacement, the receiving style and that, I'd do it. Fair, fair. Um, Tom, what do you make? Of um, Craig Reynolds being given the deal to come back, how, mu- how much was it again? It's not been disclosed yet. He got okay. a, he got a separate deal from the tender, so, so it'll be sh- close to vet minimum, I'm sure. But, um, like, I mean, it's a numbers game. I guess eventually you've got to bring enough players back to field a team. Would he have been a priority? Probably not. I was just looking up there his special teams numbers. Uh, I thought he might have more special teams reps. He had 103 last year, but when you compare that to a Chris Ward, 356, Pittman, 355, Josh Woods, 319. So it's not like he's a a guy who's getting loads and loads of special team reps. But um, I, I don't have a strong view on it because eventually you've got to pad out the roster with vet minimum deals. I agree. I think if you're... Well, it, to be honest, even if you're bringing Jamal back, you're probably getting another running back at a similar cost. So why not bring back Reynolds in that case? Very true. Jordy Mansions had the comment of the night. He says, Jamar Jefferson, time league lead in Russia 2023. Absolutely. Star comment. Well done, you. Um, I know a lot of the issue with it is to do with also another running back who hasn't been offered a deal here. And I know this is what hurts Ryan a little bit. But Ryan, Reynolds? Offers nothing. If he, Justin Jackson offers 100 times more production. Returner, good third down back, good short yardage. Probably could have got him back for the vet minimum. Let's be honest, he's not exactly going to have loads of offers. The Chargers cut his ass because he didn't do much there. We could have brought him back. Like I said, Reynolds, like, if you could bring up and pay your mortgage with a hard worker, likeable, nice guy, then we'd all own homes. But at the end of the day, you don't pay money for that. And unfortunately, I can't just keep rooting for these likeable guys. Like, if you stay up as me a tube of Pringles, I'd take it, I'd trade his ass with it's what what flavour though? What flavour Pringles? I think uh, that's the critical. Sour cream and onion. That that that. I'm a sour cream guy. Barnes, I think this running back room is in tatters. The moment someone offers me like a third round pick for Swift, if it happens, I'll take it. Jamal, I don't think he's coming back. No. Beacon Robinson or Jamie Gibbs have got to be on the lines radar because what was the strength of this team right now for me is looking like a huge weakness. I am really worried about this running back room. Like I said, Jamal comes back, fair enough, but I feel like it's going to have to be another pair for a guy that had like nine of his 17-yard touchdowns for one yard or two yard that Adrian Peterson basically did behind our O-line that any good running back could do with our O-line, could punch it in that many times. I love Jamal, great leader, great character, but you can easily replace his production. In my personal opinion, I don't want... He won't fleece us, but I feel like the market will. And if it is true that the Bengals and the Bills are interested in him and he wants to win something, 
I don't see how we're going to be able to compete or keep him about overpaying. We're going to have to draft a running back right, right this year. We've got to overhaul this position. Word. Absolutely. That, 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 is the, that is the first thing we need to do. So I'm all on board with you there. Um, the Eagles exodus continues. Andre Dillard has gone to the Titans. They're offensive tackle, so they continue to hemorrhage talent after the Super Bowl. Right, last bit of news, guys, and then I know some of you need to get out of here. So the other um, re-signings, per se, by the Lions today... Um, exclusive rights free agents there were five of them all told I know Matt was incredibly excited about one of them but you've got Scott Daly the long stepper obviously the really important one in here Benito Jones is back on the defensive line Anthony Pittman is back at linebacker or special teams not really linebacker and then the tight end pairing of Brock Wright and Shane Zilstra is back I know there's maybe a load of depth signings but um Ryan, anything you want to say about any of these guys first? You surprised or do you feel that's about right? About right. Pittman, key special team contributor, Scott Daly. It's Scott Daly. Everyone knows how I feel about tight end position. I know all the people on Twitter I argue saying, I think we need a tight end because we've brought back our tight end two and our tight end four. That's who Ryan Zilstra are. Mitch was the three. I will take a tight in the second round. I do want a Dalton Kincaid or a Luke Musgrave to really elevate that position. But right now, it's probably not the biggest need. I'm probably not going to get in a tizzy about. So, yeah, it's fine. That's it. We need to, like I say, if we're going to now address the all-line depth, that's probably what we need to do now with like our tendered guys. We need to re- Because Kramer not coming back if we don't turn, he's never hit it. That hurts. Evan Brown is going to be paid as a starter. He, he, has, he has got no chance of coming back to first that both people. He's going to be a starting centre in the NFL next year. I just don't know where, probably. Yeah. The, the O-line right now is where I'm probably more worried about depth pieces. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's a big worry there. Tom, anything on the five ERFAs? Are you surprised? Anyone you're surprised by? Or just sort of business as usual? So, it, does that mean any names that could have been on that list were not re-signed or were not so no they were all re-signed tommy kramer and bobby price were the two non-tendered but that is and it's been it's they're both injured currently so the lions are waiting to see what the injury status is but out of those five did you expect all these guys to come back are you surprised or i don't think think i'm surprised to be honest um benito jones is an interesting one because he was awful when he first came over but then actually became a little bit more relevant towards the end I think both the tight ends, good to get them back. It'd be interesting to see how tied to them the Lions are. I don't think they will be. I think, like, say, uh, Ryan, if if there's a guy they really like in the draft in whatever shape or size that falls in their lap, wouldn't surprise me if they took them. Um, but at the same time, I think they're perfectly happy rolling out Brock Wright as their starting tight end next year. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't think any real surprises in there. No. Ash, any surprises or have you... you- agree with them all i agree with the comments on the tendering i might disagree with the tight end takes about in round two we could probably fight out another day if we look at the tight ends but for me there's only one tight end i'm considering going round two and that's darnell washington because i'm not taking another hawkinson we've shown that we're not the best place for those kind of tight ends you need to be able to block in our scheme that's the first thing don't trust kim k to do that Musgrave I haven't seen enough of, but if he's been touted as a receiving guy, 
we don't know how to use them. So for me, it'd be a waste of pick. That'd be the second round pick curse continued, in my opinion. Yeah. So unless Darnell Washington falls there or Mayer slips under and he just slips there, not for me in that terms. I'm happy, I like, I'm happy bringing back Wright and Zilstra with Mitchell there. Like, it's passable. Tight end's not the biggest thing. I know the Bears have splashed a lot of money today on inside linebackers, probably to try and stop that. But we can just look go elsewhere. If we need someone to line up in line and receive, that can be Amon Ra. He can block decently, and then you can bring on Khalif in the slot, and you can just attack teams. We don't need a receiving only guy. We need if we're going to bring in a tight end, it'll be a blocker first who has receiving upside, like a Darnell Washington, like a Luke Schoomaker, like a Donald Perham from Purdue. Those are the kind of tight ends I'm looking at. You see, I want to say no to a tight end, but like me and Ram were on the college brother day, and we're just when you talk about this tight end clash, you can't help but smile because there's just so many guilty pleasures in there, and there really is. So I'm, I can't fall on either side of the debate at the minute. Um, Ken makes a good point about Evan Brown. Evan Brown to Denver. They've just splashed on two massive signings there: McGlinchey and the guard from. Titans. Evan Brown would make sense. He would cost them not elite money, but he would do well there. If they're overhauling that line, I think he could end up there. Um, if you guys have got any questions you want us to answer before we go, uh, please get them in really quickly. So I've got one question left for the guys, and then we are done for the day. So when all is said and done, this is only day one of free agency. There's only been a few deals made so far, but how do you feel at the end of day one of free agency? The deals that have been made, what Brad Holmes has done, how do you feel? Tom, I'll go with you first. What, what, what's your feelings after the first day of business? Um, surprised, I would say. Not negatively. Um, I didn't think they were going to be willing to drop $11 million a year on a corner, but I'm really happy they did. Sutton was one of the guys, I think I mentioned at the top of the show, I was really interested in two years ago. But he was kind of one of those guys I wasn't getting my hopes up for this year because I assumed we wouldn't be in the market. So uh, whether that works out or not, who knows? Um, I'm really happy with that signing, though. Surprised that they gave Anzalone that much money. But like I say, I think by the end of the week, it might just be par for the course for a linebacker uh, of that kind of level in this league. So I think surprised we've made such a, a loud early move before potentially bringing back some of our other guys that people are shouting for like a Kaminsky or Jamal Ryan how are you feeling after day one of business uh, I feel pretty good like we can't compare to Bears but seeing the Vikings absolutely tear shit down we just have to do the basics right I feel pretty good in the standards of the NFC North like I'm pretty I hope A-Rod fucks off pretty soon because I'm picking that little bitch not making his mind up <laughs> fucking the Packers and the Jets fans Oh, I can't stand him. The guy's a toss up. Yeah, I feel fine. Like I say, throwing a bit of money at the corner. I never expected the trade. I knew we would never gain Jim Ramsey. It just, just didn't make sense. Like I said, he was a salary dump off. And people keep saying, like, oh, we could have given us around the tight end. Yeah, the Dolphins have taken on $34 million guaranteed to do that. Like I said, they've paid the penalty in such a cheap trade as it was. People don't understand contracts have to be reworked so that just was never going to fly here so yeah but yeah I'm happy with Cam Sutton and we'll see how the chips fall now I expected Jamal and John to go test the market if they're going to resign I reckon it won't be till at least the end of the week I reckon they'll go meet with at least a handful of teams first 
the more profile guys like Deshaun DJ, I wish them all the best. Go get your bag. We're probably not going to give it to you, but I I have faith that the draft and the cheap free agency pickups can. We will be no worse this season. We will still be a nine ten win team. I'm fine with that. We we will not be any worse off. We can only get better. Like I said, I I don't want to do something reckless like restructure everyone's contracts and then make a huge move for a guy. Like I say, or pull off a blockbuster trade for like Gabriel Davis. I'd rather just wait to see like Leighton Van Der Esch. If he's if he ain't got much of a market, throw him a one year bone because we're that kind of like we're kinda of like Battersea Dogs Club. If anyone don't know, that's a big charity. We will collect your strays. We will give them a groom. We'll give them a haircut. And then they go to their new owners in a few years. But while they're here, we love them and we look after them. And in return, they give us something back. So I expect more one-year flyers. You know, I, I live for your metaphors, Ryan. I'm not going to lie. They're just, they're just the highlight of this show there. So I absolutely love it. Uh, Man Bear Pig goes right on, Ryan. He he agrees with you there. So I'm like with Tom. I'm a bit surprised. I didn't think they'd make a splash. I thought if he was going to, he were going to touch contracts by now. He's not touched contracts, which I don't mind. He's not restructured anybody. But let's just say, call me pleasantly surprised today. I think we've bought the right guys back and we've made a signing we desperately needed. Ash. Finishes off. How do you feel after day one of business in the new, technically soon to be new season? Quite the optimistic, because I agree with everything. But I also I have optimism that Chark could be coming back. Because name a big wide receiver deal that's happened today. You can't because there's been none. The wide receiver market has not been touched today. Teams are waiting, so there is a possibility Chark could go out there. And they're all teams having the reservations. So he could come back with his little shark tail between his legs and say, please give me another chance. And I'd happily give him another one-year deal. And then we can still draft our guy. If we, if we, if the team likes Puka from BYU, we can draft him. Or if the team wants to wait till next year, there's quite a few got, uh, good guys next year, like Ziarqu- uh, Franklin from UTSA, someone I was in for before he returned to college. There's a certain receiver on my team who is a great ex-receiver who could be a first-rounder, second-rounder next year, who'd be very good for the team. So for me, I'm quite optimistic that we've got... Today was about establishing that baseline, making it so we can go into the draft without too much of a glaring need outside of maybe DT. Okay. For me, that's, that's all I can ask for, is that sort of baseline of if we enter the season tomorrow... Could we field a, t- a respectable team right now? Can say, yeah, we can. So, a, a genuine optimism across the board, surprise and optimism. That 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 is what you want from the first day. I I would agree with you all there. I think it's been a good day for us, and I'm intrigued to see what we do going forward. Uh, Big Aries says, loving Rogers dragging this out. Uh, FTP, yeah, we all are. It's 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 hilarious. They can't do anything in free agency, and all these players they might want, they can't have until they dump his ass out of town. Um, Jordy goes, the only surprise is Big V's contract hasn't been restructured. This works in with Ken's question who says, what do you guys expect at right guard? Big V is expected to take a pay cut. So he will be here next year on a pay cut. You've seen some of these guys. It will be reworked into incentives instead of a base deal. So expect Big V back next season, but don't rule out still getting someone like Osiris Torrance. I think they still do backup. They've got to draft a backup high because we need better backups, as has already been said, and we need starters for the future. So Big V will be back. But don't rule out us drafting anybody. Um, right, 
Thank you everyone for this evening on YouTube and Twitch. We will get out here now. We're nearly bang on 10 o'clock, so we've done well for a change. Um, next show's coming up. Uh, me and Ryan will be back with the College Football Podcast later in the week, as always. Um, it'll be pro day watching, bits like that. So, yeah, we'll, 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 just, um, we'll just do it as we go along. And then we will be back in a week's time with our third week of positional previews. I'm not sure what it is yet quarterbacks this week four which is the final week so as a yet to be determined group of players we will talk about next monday um so that's the next shows there um and there will be more draft prospect videos and that drop in i believe in the near future so check those out check those out um as always you can find us all over the internet on uh, twitter twitch instagram just just search roar the lines uk rotl uk all that razzmatazz we are on we are going towards 900 on youtube we were at, 889 last time I checked. We were 11 off, but I've not checked since the free agency stream. So hopefully we're nearing up to 900. So if you could give us your support on there, that would be great. Likewise with Twitch and everything else. Um, just remains for me to thank everyone. Is there nothing else anyone wants to mention before we're done? Anything else you want to get out? No? Don't rise, don't resign Will Harris. I'm putting that out into the atmosphere. Word! Seconded! Seconded! Oh, God. Disagreed. All right, okay. Brian Brown should get rid of Will Harris. He is Will Harris 2.0, 7.0, 10.0. That's why I want Brian. And on that bombshell, we will bid you adieu. One pride. <laughs>